Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with, oh yeah. You made it with, you made it with, yes you did. You made it with, oh yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. What's happening, weirdos? Uh, Dana Carvey continues a wonderful, uh, wonderful streak. I, you know, I love every episode, but we're just on a really good run here. And uh, Dana is just such a wonderful addition to that run. Obviously a hero of mine. Obviously just one of the greats of comedy and uh, a big part of my, you know, youth. And, and currently I still think he's hilarious. I saw him on Conan and I, I went up to him. I, I happened to be there and I asked him if he wanted to do it. And I was just thrilled that he said yes. And here we are. Doing the full episode. He, he mentioned several times afterwards that he was tired. I couldn't tell at all. We go a long time. It's, it's, kind, of a, it's, it's kind of a relaxed conversation with these peaks and valleys and wonderful uh, bits and, and honesty. And it's just one of my favorites. So let's get to it. There's, there's no ad to skip here or listen to if, if you're hardcore. Uh, but here are a couple tour dates. I have Irvine coming up, San Diego coming up, Washington, D.C. and Grand Rapids, Michigan. If any of those appeal to you, just go to PeteHolmes.com and you can get uh, tickets. Check it. And uh, we might be making a Piano Keys t-shirt. I'm working on it, and it, it'll probably be out uh, today uh, while you're listening to this. So look on my Instagram or my Twitter, which is just at Pete Holmes, and my Facebook, if you'd like to maybe buy a Piano Keys t-shirt for the holidays. Come on. Uh, from the Harris Whittles episode, of course. If you skip that one, uh, go back and listen to Harris absolutely uh, as fast as possible. But uh, in the meantime, let's listen to the wonderful and hilarious Thoughtful Dana Carvey, everybody, get into it. Guest chairs where? This one here, yeah. If you could, don't I, could I feel obnoxious? <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't know me at all, so it's kind of like, is there a weird side to him? There must I, be something. On my, I believe it was the hundredth episode, I got interviewed, so I allowed uh, the oh, guest to sit here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord, this is fun already. Do you want to wear the earphones? Uh, do we normally? Some people don't. Really? I don't like it. But you have them on. I love it. Well, then I would do it. Don't you like it? It feels like well, we're on like the radio. I have a question. Does yeah. Howard Stern have a... Is Who? His, Howard Stern. <laughs> is his <laughs> voice that comedy. deep? I doubt it, right? Or is the, does his mic have it? Because it goes to this other oh. level of this real... Could you real turn low. up... Could you turn, thing. could you turn up our bass? Well, look, when you have well, the earphones on, you can yeah. control it. You can control Let's try it. What could we do? We've done like 300 of these? Yes. Yeah, what could we do to make it different? This. Just go very intimate. If you talk really... Yes, hello. If you talk really close to the microphone, I'm sitting here with the incomparable Dana Carvey. There's so much to talk about. How are you, Dana? I understand you don't go to a therapist. <laughs> Did you? You turned I, up our base. I just found a therapist. His name's Pete. I'll be your therapist. Um, Why do you need the spotlight, Dana? Why? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You, no, can, no. Answer, you can answer. I go want. for 20 minutes on that. I <laughs> no, actually. That's a fun first question. I don't need. You don't need. Yeah. You've detached. It's been a. Uh, no, no. I never needed it. Never. It's been a real deficit. Yeah. Tell you know me. Larry Bubbles Brown? No. Same guy. If the show was canceled, let's say in your early days, you yeah. really. Show's canceled. Are you happy or sad? You're sad. I'm happy. Because of the. Because I don't have to go on stage. You don't like going on the stage? Not really. No. <laughs> well, do you? Well, look, I'll meet you right there, and I'll tell you that when a show is canceled now, yes. I'm almost only relieved. 
Like I have to go to Iowa City right. on Friday, and if okay. there's like heavy snow right. and it gets canceled, yeah. I don't, I'm not, I came all this way. I'm sleeping at the hotel and flying back. Well, what is it about the redundancy of telling jokes that amuses you? It's <laughs> 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 more like a therapy. No, I, um. No, I agree. It's, it's the search for novelty is what it is. I would need a therapist to answer that for me is why I never enjoyed being famous. Is that right? Yeah. What and- about the access, Dana? People don't like being famous, but they do enjoy access. Some guy brings you out an oyster that's holding a lamb chop. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Carby, we it love you. holding a lamb chop. Yeah, it's holding a lamb chop with a little oyster. Well, grossness. look, before I had my peak of fame and, and yeah. my residual kind where of do you play? Where do you fame. place that? Oh, well, I can tell you almost exactly. Like, um, <laughs> I would say my peak was the second I stepped off Saturday Night Live. Like 1993. Eight, April, probably. 92, 93? 93. 93. Well, don't, don't get. Don't, don't act right. like I didn't know. Don't take that year off. <laughs> but my wife and I have been together for thirty-two years. We always went to a restaurant at five thirty because it was empty. Ooh. We always went to a matinee because it was empty. Ooh. Um, do you have any side of you that's introverted? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So that's oh, yeah. Both of the things you just said deeply resonate with me. Okay. In fact, that's one of the things I think being a comedian affords me because mm-hmm. you ever make the mistake of going to Home Depot on a Saturday because I can go on mm-hmm. a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When it's just me and the alcoholics oh i know well, i don't know who's there well, i don't well, know who's there. yeah yeah well um me and the other alcohol can you there got to a point you could make a case that i jettisoned just in time because mm. if i have this and a baseball cap Nobody. and sunglasses i can go to disneyland but i still and this isn't a bit but i still have to change my jaw i have to do either a mickey rourke no or kind of a kind of a jay leno <laughs> but like who am i now yeah. I'm invisible. So that's a lot of my peers and friends like Conan The Indiana here, Jones line is a long line to do the Jay Leno jaw. <laughs> I just want to say that. I mixed it up. I've, I've been in that I line. I mixed it up. You just change your jaw. <laughs> but so a case would be made that I got out just in time. Well, Conan, you were saying? Well, I mean, Conan can't go anywhere. Yep. Will Ferrell can't. Conan, uh, Adam Sandler can't. You know Conan way, yes. way better than I do. He yes. doesn't seem... Yes, I do. He... <laughs> I still enjoy doing that. <laughs> it's very, yes, very cool. Yes, you I know known Conan. I, I've known Conan and uh, Greg Daniels when they came over yeah. from Harvard. Yeah. Looked like high school seniors. These are the new kids. Thought, yeah. mm, don't seem don't seem too bright. First impression. <laughs> Not a lot going on there. <laughs> Just a running vacuum cleaner. Well, everyone was Irish from man. Harvard or Brown or whatever. I went to San Francisco State, and when I would mispronounce a word yeah. in the read-through, I'd hear the chuckles. So uh, there was a bit of a class warfare. There. No, really? But Conan was... It's funny, because I recently mm-hmm. spoke with Conan about how that's one of the things that he that he felt was in the way. Like, he always felt that that like, set the stage, that he was going to be a certain way. Right. And even when he was, he did the, t- the, the Late Show, uh, he thought... All the interviews were like, so you're going to be the smart one. And he's like, no, I'm a silly puppet man. Right. And, they, yeah. and so he had to fight against that. So yeah. even though that yeah. is a good pedigree, it was just something interesting that he said that he kind of lamented right. it mildly. Well, that's a, yeah, it's a bigger discussion about what is smart. You know, I would say yeah. Conan is incredibly smart. His humor is incredibly smart. It can be sort of thought about as uh, silly, uh, i.e. irrelevant, not edgy, you know, right. that kind of thing. Sure. Wait. You like silly. I do love silly. Batman. Look what I wrote. Silly. I wrote I silly because I was like, I bet yeah. Dana will be silly with me. We don't have to do I bits. Will. I just No, well, we will get into ni- bits. N- n- <laughs> it's, uh, not, it's not morning radio. I, I'm, I'm happy to meet you where you are, but right. I know you like silliness. No, I, yes. 
right? Well, uh, uh, okay, I'll digress in a, yeah, my no. philosophy about that. Because I had to analyze, you know, where do I, you where can am also, I in the comedy universe? Go ahead. But I think most every comedian is born in the back of the seat in high school. Your friends could be stoned or not stoned. <laughs> you didn't really do observational. You didn't really do jokes. You wound down some kind of rhythm or phrase into the, the tightest ball ever over and over and over again. And when I'm in the back seat of, of, with Dennis Miller, Kevin Nealon, we all do the same thing. What is it? I need help understanding that. Uh, like, say, um, back in the day, I was going to do um, Kevin Nealon and I, when we invented Hans and Franz. Yep. We just started talking like this. <laughs> and saw, we saw Arnold on TV. Mm-hmm. And we loved how organized his life was and how it was always perfect. Yes. And it's just like, <laughs> yes, of course. This is direct quotes. Sorry, it's, I'm doing yeah. a voice. Happy I want you to do Nerd voices. alert. I want voices. But it was this rhythm of Arnold having the world completely solved. Like, you know, you're, out, you're, you're on the road. And you get to the hotel and you run the stairs and then you take a, a nice light shower. These are quotes. You put on a light white cotton shirt and you're ready for the evening. <laughs> so that became a song. You put on a light white cotton shirt and you're ready for the evening. So that's viscerally funny to your brain. Like So we repeated that. Over and over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And when we would fly, Dennis and I were terrified of flying. Yes. So we had a thing we called the plane a lady. Lady, sit up. Sit up. So we're going down the runway. It's like, sit up, because it always looks like the plane's sitting up. <laughs> sit. Sit sweet for daddy. Sit up. Sit up. Come on. Come on. <laughs> and if we were in turbulence coming into the airport, we'd say, uh, lady doesn't want to sit down today. Lady doesn't want to sit down. <laughs> a year later, a plane lost an engine in, in, uh, in You're Chicago. You're on it. No, I wasn't on it, but oh. Dennis left me a message. Lady lost an earring in Chi-Town. <laughs> so... So these are things that we would repeat over and over and over again. Uh, Lady Lawson. Yeah, sit up. Sit sweet for daddy. Sit. She doesn't want to sit. So those are the kinds of things that- Are you soothing yourself with silliness? Yes, all of it. I don't don't want- All this sounds very (laughs) philosophical. No. I don't want one and one equals two. Yeah. I want one and one might equal two, but it, it could equal three and maybe even five. Because it's silly time. Well, I've seen you – know, I watched some of your stand-up. I did my oh, research. Oh, thank you. That's incredible. And it's, it's really smart, tight, observational. And then occasionally you'll do an alter ego or a character. Yep. A guy who's not too bright or something that go, goes completely into rhythm then. Yeah. Like it's not exactly what he's saying. So right. I noticed we had that. That's interesting. Symbiotic. Because you can yeah. step into something. Yes. And then it's more comfortable. Yeah. And you're right. If I'm hearing you correctly, that character is saying mm-hmm. things that he wouldn't necessarily say the whole time. Well, it becomes just um, uh, audio. It's just like, wh- what part of my brain is making me laugh right now? Evening. 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 And ready for the evening. <laughs> And I do think it's from if you were a monkey in a cage, you'd just be soothing yourself. Yeah. With madness and, you know, stuff that has other bents. But I, I keep coming back to that, you know. So you know, that's what makes me happy, like chopping broccoli. Yes. Back from four years ago. Yeah. But there's nothing besides that rhythm. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's an app. That's that why I, the critics hated me. Did they? <laughs> they do. I would. They I'd s- hate me. You know, I. I, I, I <laughs> I would. Wait, is this up there making faces and voices? Oh, no. <laughs> what the fuck is he doing? But you know what? I think there's a way that we can drive into that mm-hmm. that you have as well, where you're just like, yes, I'm just making faces and voices. Mm-hmm. And isn't that great? 
I like saying it on stage sometimes. I go, yeah. comedy doesn't have to be hard. Sometimes it's no. just a reversion to silliness. It can be the, the hardest thing in the world. But the right. things that people like yeah. the most... I'm going to get my notes. Keep Please, talking. get your notes. I'll show them to People that, uh, that like me uh, the most, the, the things that they like about the, me yeah. the most are the things that are just pure silliness. Right. Where it's yeah. just little... I call them playground bits. Yeah. Small setup, and then like a, uh, a punchline that's as long as they're laughing. Right. <laughs> yeah, but when you do your take on the Christian Bale Batman, yeah, you're extending his rhythms. You're there's something just funny about the voice you're using because it's not his voice exactly. Right, it's some other voice. Right, and that voice hits me viscerally. <laughs> you know, it, uh, and then there's the stuff he's saying is funny. That's the right. double whammy. Right, 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 but I right. wouldn't really need him to say anything. That's right. Funny. That's right. I just when you hear that. That's rhythm. right. And I bet as an impressionist yeah. yourself, you, you could appreciate, I want to look all at this. I want to look all at this. You can appreciate that the ex- slight exaggeration that he can't breathe in his mask. That, yes. that was when I was like, oh, this is a funny voice. Because it's right. not just the mask. Then you ex- you close your own nose and you're just like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, yeah, he's exactly. really having yeah, a hard he's time. He's having some congestion. Are these your stand-up notes? These are late, lately kind of notes. I yeah. love it. And it- they're just, why are they, they're all circled. I have always done this. I don't know why. It's the ADD in my brain. I like circles. I like checks. I like arrows. I like that stuff. Uh, are you linear? Do you do it on a... I tried it typing it out. I couldn't remember anything. Oh, I don't like a type. What I'll do... Mm. I, I'm embarrassed I don't have my comedy ID on me, which is my <laughs> As my friend Steve Harvey said that. Is the... Not, 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 not that Steve Harvey. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I like... Here's a rhythm I like. Makes me happy. It, what, what you, you suggest, suggest is nothing short of madness. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> just, I love the 19th century British guys. It's just... What you suggest is nothing short of madness. Good <laughs> Day to you, sir. Yes. It's always a science symposium. Yes. You're suggesting that mankind has descended from a monkey. And then what you suggest is nothing short of yeah. madness. It's the nothing short of madness. And then, of course, yeah. good day to you, sir. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. a rhythm that I like. I have no joke for it, but I just like it. Good like day to you. It's funny that good you, day to you, sir. I've noticed that I, I was a reenactor in Salem and I had to dress up. <laughs> She's the only audience. I look for a smile. No, you can get to it. <laughs> Episode 334. <laughs> Still, no laughs in sight. Must get comedy. Redundancy setting you know, in. You'll see me look at Katie. You know, I look at Katie all, all the right. time. Every time there's a bit. Here, Katie. Uh, here, Katie. You can look and th- look at something that amuses you. Yeah, fine. We'll it. get to that later. I do want to. Um, is there anything more fun than someone else seeing how you write down your bits? I love it. Um, Hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. That's just more of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you just have a piece of paper in your backpack that says "hurt yourself." That's like I don't circle. I don't work out so much as I feel like I'm just hurting myself and hope my body will recover. <laughs> There's no sense that it's just we, you know. So let's talk about your therapist today. I'm curious. Yeah, no, um, I don't want to talk about anything. Is that? I do want to relate to. If you, you have though. a structure you want to go to, there's no structure. There's no structure. Interesting. We'll let it. We'll let obviously it there's go. none on mine. <laughs> Yes. I'm actually kind of interested that my set list is much more linear. I write it out in like four mm. things that have something to do with each other, then a little line, then four more things, kind of on a topic. I think, well... Then you can go in any order. So when you do, like I, I, I sorry, I looked at the magician one, this mm-hmm. and that. Is that something you uh, just wrote word for word no. or kind of riffed on stage, Yes, the bullet points... Yeah, occurred to you, and yeah. then you, yeah. In fact, you saw it when I did it on Conan. I'm imagining, yes. and yes. that was the only time that I kind of had that feeling of like, how am I going to remember every part of it? 
Right. Normally, when you're on stage, you just kind of can go and like you want to just forgot, feel it. You feel yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm doing it, I'm like, I had a very specific cue card with each part of right. that joke, and I realized it really was like five jokes. There's a joke about this, and there's a joke yeah. about this. Yeah. But I just wrote down magic on my right. stylus, You know what I mean? Yeah. Until I had to do it on TV, then it became mm-hmm. a little bit more word for word. Yeah, yeah. But I don't like doing it word for word. Mm-hmm. That's a big lesson that it took me a long time to learn. Is that if it's funny to you or important to you, you know mm-hmm. how you feel about it. Go up and talk about that. I know. And then keep and then keep doing it. And that's the hard part of stand up is some nights you know you're not uh you're just it's not all happening. That's right. And you have to pretend it's happening. Ugh. And that's the work of stand up to get enthusiastic about but that's when right. you're not because um, my both my sons are doing stand up. That's right. And Wake I up just, and smell the carvey. You know all about them? I was there when you did Conan. That's how I asked you to do the show, and you talked about it that day. But trying to – I feel like sometimes I'm overloading them, but I I said to my son the other night when he was going up, they were opening for me. I said, uh, don't – before I go to the – Mike, don't have any outcome. Don't don't have any sense of what it has to happen. Yeah. And it can't always work that way. But when they push you out through the curtain – you went out as an unknown comic initially, right? Essentially unknown. Of course. Mm-hmm. How did you manage that pressure? Yeah, I was just thinking about that the other night because I did a show last night at UCB. And even just with like 15, 20 people in the crowd, there was a little bit heightened electricity that I came out. I'm not saying I'm some big guy, but oh, I could, no. I could yeah. feel it. Yeah. And then I was like, do you remember the preposterous notion of going out completely unknown? And I was like, right. it would almost be nice to take a vacation in that space just for six months because I bet I'd write some really great jokes. The terror yes. of it. You have yes. to go out and be like, bam, right away, right up top. We can't just be like, hey, and then... Just- yeah, but I, I don't know how early I saw you in your development, but what I was noticing today was just, you seem like you already had a show, and I don't <laughs> think you had a show. I didn't. But I don't know whether it was from workshopping it so much, but a lot of guys will go out there as a, a monologist on a talk show, unknown, yeah, and just have that other thing that's not quite there yet, yeah. when you get to this other level of confidence. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was interesting. You seem like you already had a show. No wonder they gave you a show. (laughs) Well, because you were kind of, um, you were really uh, present and and sort of taking control. It's funny that you say that because that, I feel like that's what you were saying to your your boys. Yeah. When we're not expecting an outcome, that's just another, saying be present is one of the most boring things to say in the world. But if you say like open yourself to wonder or like lit, mm-hmm. take each joke as it comes. Do each joke as if it's the last joke sort right. of thing. Yeah. You know, n- not that you have to scream or dance as fast as you can. But like I, I just I do a show every year in mm-hmm. Boston and I did it and I was trying to go out and not have any expectation that it would go like it went the year before. Tough. Or the year before. Yeah. And that's actually one of the biggest enemies of comedy is expectation. Yes. So your advice, even though Zen sounding though it may be, I think is very mm-hmm. accurate. Go out and just allow comedy to happen. Rather right. than forcing it into right. people. You're yeah. inviting them to laugh at you, not trying to persuade anything. And what's the phrase you, you were using? It wasn't a joke. I think you're saying, uh, listen to me, or you know what yeah, I Yeah, I say listen to me. I think listen it's very funny to tell a group of people that are listening to you to listen to you. That's good. Because uh, being <laughs> emphatic is the place you want to get to. You know. That's right. Well, I always say stand-up is the arrogance of it. You have to cop this, you know, it's like a football, you're like a quarterback. Hey, 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 room of strangers, huddle up. Right. I got some shit I got to tell you. Or like you got to listen up. Or like a pilot. You know, you can't, I don't mean to bring up the Cosby controversy, but Cosby has a... (laughs) What was in the pudding? What was in the pudding? Oh, God. The weirdest thing about that 
Is that that persona and that you told me you know we're talking about voices? Yeah. It is kind of it extenuates yeah. whether he's guilty or innocent into that particular type of activity. There's just <laughs> you know oh, I know. What, am I being libelous right now? Are we gonna be stupid? No. <laughs> <laughs> just do the voice. See, that's the thing now, because it's totally inaccurate. It's just my that's oh, what I tell yeah. my kids. Forget accuracy. It yep. doesn't mean a thing. It's just a feeling. But again, isn't that kind of zen? <laughs> It doesn't have to be almost anything. You could use it. I do Cosby on stage. You do? See, I, I do. don't. I don't. Friends I do. of mine, you probably do it very well. No, I don't. That's very much you to have your a good point. ear. I, I thank you. It is musical, isn't it? Would you agree? Completely. That, that, that it's all about tone and trying to well, hit Well, the Monty sort of Python, pitch. you know, we're the knights who say, neat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but that's some spamming it. You know? <laughs> that's just a funny musical. Yeah, but I mean, specifically with an impression, yeah. if you're going to do George W., you're trying to hit the note. I'm hitting a note right now. Totally. You could put a tuner up to me and say, Pete speaks in G. Yeah. And then if you want to do a good Pete, you have to speak in G. Right. So you probably have a decent ear for music. I know you play the drums. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Pete. <laughs> um, guitar and keyboard, a little bit. I, I'm a good... I have a low depth of knowledge, a low depth of musical talent, but yeah. I, I do it all the time. Yeah. I make up a song every day on the guitar. I love it. Uh -huh. I think that's one of the, see, maybe that's one of our endeavors as silly comedians is trying to bring, mm -hmm. I love being silly with my girlfriend. I think You I, must have catchphrases in your, in your relationship all and things you go to. And it's that's a whole magic the, world. But that's the goal for me always was the goal after I figured out what I was trying to do up there in stand up yeah. is to get. A room so small in that sense that if someone walked in, they'd go, yeah. what yeah. in the hell are they laughing at? They're card-carrying members. Yeah. They're in a secret society so. of silliness. Jeez. Mm, right? Perhaps we should tour together. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> so long. <laughs> nice try, Pete. Time for the master. <laughs> no, ego is the funniest, though. But well, going back to ego, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you talking about me coming out as if I had a show. There is something that's kind good. of uh, I know I agree. It wasn't arrogant that it's good. It was just I, I agree that it's comp yeah. I know, but what is the role of confidence? Not all of it. And I'm telling you that I am quite introverted a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. But when you come out, there's almost like a character that you're playing where you go out and be like, "What if we pretend like I'm very comfortable?" Yeah. <laughs> what if I pretend like this is my show for five minutes? Yeah. And how long does it take? Between you're in the kitchen with your friends in high school or whatever, like my sister's hilarious. Yeah. It's like, my God, you should be a stand-up. And then how many years does it take yeah. to be able to approximate that on demand, right. especially on television? That's right. Because you, you don't have the time. Uh, you can't go, I'm kind of flat today when they're behind the curtain. Ladies and gentlemen, you know. That's so right. that's the part of it that is, it's a, a, an eternal mind fuck. It is. Eternally. Yeah, absolutely. The transition from... Not performing to ladies and gentlemen, unless you're some kind of freaky, always on guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. The only guy that I can see. See, but I have to take it further each time. Where there's no sense of Cosby, there is no pudding. There's just, there's just that, and that makes me laugh. And there's a hand gesture that everyone's missing out on. It's like he's like a yeah. Greek god calling down thunder. Can I hear your Cosby? Well, here's what I want to tell you about it. Because you must I think have your own hook. Is I say everybody does Cosby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's a great time. And then I say, what are you going to marshal my happiness? I don't. <laughs> I don't do this bit anymore. Yeah. But when I because of the whole rape thing, but I, I go like <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> 
was we lost. The, the bit was called Filthy Cosby. And I go okay, like, sure. it yeah, immediately brother. puts me in a place mm-hmm. where I'm happy. And then yes. I do the same thing where it just, yeah. it's just that. Yeah. It's not yeah. good. But everybody's just kind of laughing. But now we're laughing at more than the impression. We're laughing at that sort of absurd idea that we're mm-hmm. going to green light our own joy. And yeah. be like, even though it's, he told us it's dumb. Right. So much of like my comedy now is going like, I know this is dumb. Everything's dumb. It's so silly, though. Let's yeah. just go. And then I go, Rudy, suck on my dick. And it's terrible. Oh, I love it. No, no, no. I I, <laughs> I once had a meeting with two writers. By the end, we decided this was a film pitch that I should just do a comedy album called All My Characters Fucking. So I had Ross Perot do, doing Clinton, you know. Drop your trousers. Sail out of Texas. But all my characters fucking because... That is winding down to primal funniness. That's right. Well, it's funny that you say primal that because when you're starting out, maybe mm-hmm. I don't know where your sons are at in stand-up. How long have they been doing it? Just brand new. Brand like new. Six, eight months. When you're starting out, I think there's an inherent snobbery. You have to have some boundaries, some right. taste. Yes. And you have to go, that's bad comedy and that's good comedy. And I understand that's good. And then once I've been doing it uh, about, I guess it's been 13 years or so, right. 14 years. Now I kind of am going back to some of the things that I was just like, that's horse shit, and going right. like, no, when that, albeit terrible comedian, right. did Schwarzenegger having sex, it was mm. really, really funny. That was funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is funny. to Right. You kind of go full circle. Just they, own it. They've got Louis C.K. and all these superstars yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. And they're, they're three months in. Yeah. So, well, it's got to be meta and it's got to be coming for me. I go. That's right. Make, do, what, do everything. Throw duty. And I always tell them originality is the death of creativity, especially in the early days. Because yeah. the mind fuck of like, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, that's been done. That's been done. That's great. It's crazy. Because you have to try on your influences at the beginning. You have is that what to. you're saying? Yeah, yeah. But, you put but, on their shoes a little bit. Yeah, and don't think, oh, someone else must have thought of this. That's right. You know, I can't do it. In fact, know? I would go so far as to say don't watch, I don't watch Louis' new specials. What do I, I want to no. cross out things on my set list? No, no, like, I don't watch any any of these comedians. It'll kill you. I did watch you, so I can't I've, do a magic chunk. You can't do a bit about how magic is great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, David Blaine is a whole other thing. Yeah, that's a whole other. Has he performed? See, that's a celebrity thing. You should call up D. Blaine. I just like, yeah, I like uh, him on the street and, and their reactions to that. I love it. You know, I'm also yeah. quite fascinated with figuring out, not to spoil it, mm-hmm. but I want to know how it's done because I want to, I want, it's part of the appreciation for mm-hmm. me is the study. Yeah. Magicians will tell you, you don't really want to know how it's done. I really do. Yes. You want to know because it scratches an itch, not you, Dana, right. but like. A regular person just wants to know because they don't want to feel stupid. Right. I want to know because it's the exploration of like all the thought you did to yes. make it look like you're levitating on the street is yes. is part of the appreciation. Oh, I love it. And Lance Burton, you know, I saw him maybe five times. I don't know that one. Lance Burton, magician. Yeah. <laughs> he just retired. But I mean, literally this hand, sleeve is here. You're just watching. Yeah. And then, and then there's a lit candle. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Love it. It's amazing. It's amazing, amazing stuff. And I love it. People do this in other parts of life, too. But uh, even though they go, they know it's a magic trick, they go, well, there must have been. There was something going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what do you mean? Right. Something extraterrestrial? Or, right. You know, there, there was just something. I've heard guys say that about David Blaine. Yeah, he's a magician, but 
Oh, but you mean there's that? something ethereal, something almost magical. I enjoy that, but mm-hmm. I think it takes credit away from the idea that there could possibly be something that actually is beyond our comprehension when you have people so quickly throwing their faith into somebody right. that takes a bite out of a quarter when I'm right. like, I will show you where to buy that quarter. You right. know what I mean? Stop making him Jesus. Yes. It's ruining Jesus. I'm not saying Jesus has to be for real magic. I'm just saying yeah. you're ruining, ruining everything right. that really is... Let's you, you could just say molecularly, electrons, neutrons, and the further back we go, string theory, real physical yes. magic is taking away some of the fun of that when you make everybody that has any faith in anything, mm-hmm. uh, you're cheapening it. You know it's just I mean? a lazy, fun thing to say about anything. That's right. There must have been something else we mm-hmm. don't know about. Well, no, not actually. There isn't. That's <laughs> pretty much it. But whenever when I heard that we're all made of stars, I had the same kind of awe and wonder about it. As that. you should. And I wrote a song about that before Moby... Did but you I write one about it? Out. Yeah, we were all made of stars. Oh. Yeah. But is it instrumental? Uh, it was on piano. Was, Does he was, sing? Oh, him, I don't know. Does I just, he say we're all made of stars? I don't know, I'm not sure. Oh, okay, because if it's I, instrumental, you don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows what that one song from the But if we're all made of stars, that's enough magic for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll get to we'll get to God, you Lutheran son of a bitch. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Agnostic. Where'd you come from? You were East Coast. But religiously? Oh, East Coast. <laughs> East Coast. I joke that I grew up regular, meaning non-Catholic, which is funny to me because Catholic is older, obviously. My wife's Irish Catholic. Uh Mother-in-law, completely Irish Catholic. Big time? Uh, Church every day, church vigils at night. Your wife goes every day? No. Oh, they go every day. Yeah. That's a lot of church. I think that this is not very profound, but people are hardwired for religiosity, and then my generation sort of rejected dogma because we got educated. Right and still and so we find it in other places like what do magic, you mean? like Matt. Yeah, <laughs> is that right? Or or it, it, it politically, wherever you may, just somewhere where you can have ideology and you can have true belief in a big thing. that's yeah. moving things. Yes, I never considered that. That politics really? is a little bit like a religion. Like we're, we're depending how far out you are on either side. Yeah, yeah. you're playing you know. into a, a thing bigger than you if that there... changes reality. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> like a party. Right. A yeah. candidate. <laughs> and a cause. Right? Yeah, yeah. Cause or, yeah. Yeah. I global, wanna... global warming. Sure. Yeah. Is that a big one for you? No, no, not at all. No, no. I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's politicized. I, I look at, you know, I, I think that Bush going into Iraq the first time became politicized. You know, I'm not. What do you mean politicized? I, well, I'm... it was just um, no, uh, confirmation hard. bias, mm. basically. Yeah. You believe what you want to believe and then you only look at stuff that you... Confirm. That reinforces that. Yeah. Yep. Every day I get up and I read, this is literally true, with a cup of coffee, I read the Wall Street Journal Wake editorial editorial page and the New York <laughs> Times editorial page. Is that right? I do, very quickly, I just because I'm fascinated by, these are sort of the two, the twin pillars of uh, conservatism and liberalism. Yeah, sure. Um, so I read both. I don't, I, I, don't, I want to know both sides. I'm fascinated by it. I'm going to put this to you. I'm watching. Okay. Have you ever watched The Staircase? It's a great documentary about a crime. I've heard of it. It's good. But <laughs> does it, that count? It, it does. It does count. <laughs> it counts for something. But the thing is, is you get to see the lawyers on the defense mm-hmm. and the ones that are uh, prosecuting. Yeah, you know what I mean. So you get to see both of them, and you get this really hardcore example of the lies we tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. So here's a guy who appears to be very guilty, but his defense lawyer believes right. in his soul. Yes. that he is innocent. 
And I think that's a requisite to being a really good attorney for that man. Yes. But that is just – pull that out into just everyday life and in your political example, mm-hmm. the both sides talking about the same thing but with all these different th- right. feelings. We, we manufacture – our reality, I think. We yeah, all have yeah. confirmation biases, and we all tell ourselves certain mm-hmm. convenient lies, myself absolutely included. Mm, now we're back to therapy. <laughs> to shape. That's how we survive. To shape the world that yes. I would like to be in. Yes. So yeah. I do think if you ha- hold a belief, you it, it, try to force yourself intellectually to explore the other side, just because yeah. it's... It's sort of painful, really. It yeah. makes people mad. People who are conservative <laughs> watch MSNBC and are angry and vice versa. But I always look at it as a, a cottage industry that was just built not not as a, a conspiracy, but just right. the left-right out on the cable channels. They need each other, and they've made a lot of money to each other. And some of them just gang up and go on tour and do shows right, right, left-right. Right, right. I was so, always struck yeah. when Glenn Beck said his favorite comedian was John Stewart, and his dream was to be like John Stewart. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's interesting. So they don't they don't yeah. see each other as enemies. They're all in the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And at one point, they'll, um, you know, Fox News will show something from Comedy Central or John Stewart, and John Stewart will, will he'll show that something they from show Fox them. News. Oh, and so I see. They need each other. Yeah, symbiotic. absolutely. It's, you know, it's like the Joker and Batman. Yes. <laughs> We're in the I comic book store, I have to say that. I know, it's fantastic. <laughs> Do you? Uh, yeah. Why is that? Is he your favorite? The Joker. The Joker's your favorite? Here's a, a true story. So <laughs> the rest I've said is all lies. My son, my youngest son, for some reason, when he was a little baby, maybe a year and a half, he, a comic book got into his crib. And in the comic book, it was Batman Joker. He was terrified of the Joker. So he wore... As soon as he could get up and wobble, he wanted a Batman Batman clothes on. Hmm. So he wore the same Batman full thing for like three years and even under his clothes hmm. when he'd go to school. And we asked him years later, why were you obsessed with Batman? Because he was the only guy who could destroy the Joker. Really? Yeah. He it wore was... it till it was ragged. It had a cape. It was completely realistic. We have great pictures. It was like uh, religious. It was yeah, religious. It, was it reminds his, yeah. me of his, magic Mormon underwear. I, I'm not yes. even putting down. No, no, no. Just a sense, an emotional sense of protection. His mithril. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he's got that on and he's going to be okay. Yes. That's fascinating. Yes. At least he picked, he, he didn't go around with a Joker suit underneath his clothes being like, I just crave anarchy. No, he was scared of the Joker. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, who's going to do the Joker? They announced it today. Is that true? Yeah, someone else. Um, he was in Dallas Buyers Club. Sidekick, not Matthew McConaughey. Jared, Jared Leto. Leto. Jared I believe Leto's is going to do the Joker. Joker. Really? Yeah. That's interesting because hmm. he wasn't in the running the first time. Pete looks sad right now. I, I'm not crazy about it. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, why, did you have any, anyone in mind? I think Adrian Brody would be a great Joker. Hmm. I mm-hmm. think he would be fantastic because he's got the gait. He's and cool. He's a very good actor. Wiry, committed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Intense. I actually. Uh, Rest in peace, obviously. All the, all the sad things, all these potholes. But Robin Williams wanted to be the Joker very badly for The Dark Knight. I think I would have loved to see that. He would have done something good with I it. Think he, I think because he, he could have played that really yeah. dark, like one-hour photo dark kind oh, of Oh, yeah, yeah. He was definitely, that was in his he wheelhouse. Could, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would have been, yeah. at least I would have been more like, Jerry Leto, I'm kind of like, yeah, he's, he'll do fine. He'll do it. Maybe he'll do he'll it. surprise us. He could. Look, you know, look at what Heath Ledger did with it, you know? I, I will say that I wasn't thrilled when I heard Heath Ledger was doing it, and now I swear by that performance. Absolutely. Yeah. I well, I, I grew up with the, the original Adam West Batman show, and yeah. I still, 
still find it brilliant, brilliant, really funny. That's what Conan yeah. says. He says it's the fu- minute for minute. It's the funniest comedy that's ever been made. I wouldn't disagree. Is that right? Um, boy, <laughs> I saw it when it came out and was watching it in real time at like I don't know eleven or something. Yeah, and not sure what what, what they're going for. I you know I didn't really. You're know. still not sure. Well, then I figured it out later. But yeah, loved it. Loved like they they're aware that they're being. Silly. Oh, totally! Yeah, <laughs> my God! Yeah, um, yeah, they were they were quite brilliant. Anyway, yeah, that's fantastic. Yes. So, oh, uh, well, Jared Leto. I, you know, what I would like to ask you is something Anything. that I ask everybody. It's not just you. It's yeah. The idea of we're talking about how preposterous it is to go into comedy. Yes. And and what is a little bit of your origin story? Um, like those first yeah, kind of moments. On well, stage. um. Well, first of all, in '63, we we got we had a Collier's Encyclopedia that came with an uh, end of the year album. It was an LP, and on the end of it was um, and now making waves over in Britain were the Beatles, and the the Beatles was talking on this thing, and I was the youngest son. I had three older brothers, and I could go around talking like that pretty much. So that's when I discovered I could alter my voice, which is still brings me a lot of comfort. You know, it does. It's very comforting. I could do the rest of the interview like this and be totally happy because the innocence of the Beatles. Yeah. You know, it was just sort of all this <laughs> and all that. And um, I did have, I could tell you my Paul McCartney story later, but that was when I learned I could alter my voice. I'm writing it down because I'll forget. Um, and because it has a nice uh, full circle thing to it. Mm. Um, and then I was sort of class clown some years and introverted others. Mm. And then I ran track cross country in high school, too scared to take theater, but realized I was working my chops while running 10, 15, 20 miles. You mean literally while you were running? Yeah, we would run. I mean, not when we were going all out. We couldn't breathe. But I had a lot of friends that were really funny. And we were just riffing. And I did impressions of the coach and of other people. So I was like that. And then when I went after community college, I moved out, lived near the airport, uh, smoked a lot of weed, played Risk. You know, always took Oceana and tried to move out. You know, never made it. Love that game. <laughs> Saw. Why is that funny? Just risk. It's so specific. Yeah. I don't even know the game well enough to know that Oceana oh, is a yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, it's but down like, there and you move out. I yeah. just know it's bad. Well, a friend of mine, it's risky. he always took Central Europe. Like, he kind of tried to mimic Hitler and do a two-front <laughs> war. That's... And he lost every time. Oh, we used to yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I saw a thing in the paper said local comedians. And I'd never, I'd only seen Don Rickles or something on television. I didn't yeah. even know. Uh, a dive bar in Berkeley. Went over with friends. Uh, comedians went up. They weren't famous. So I took out a napkin and I started writing down things I did. Like I did. Your bits. John Wayne having sex. Yes. Well, up against the bedpost and spread them. <laughs> now, this is 1974 with friends. All right. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did Howard Cosell. I did a few impressions. So yeah. then this one guy comes up. And he's like, "Well, you weren't intending on going on, right?" No, but during but the show, they said after the show is open mic. Literally ten people. So I was kind of having a few beers and thinking, "Well, maybe you know." This one comedian came on, like maybe fourth, and he was so powerful, so dynamic, and so explosive that I actually put the napkin back in my pocket. Oh, it was Robin. No, yeah. So my very first night, I thought, "Well, maybe there's just a thousand Robins." Uh- <laughs> 
<laughs> and I should hang it up. Right. Yeah. Maybe there's just tons of guys. You know, he's got the uh, uh, the uh, he had like a little um, hat, and he would pick it up. And for those of you on NASA, this is a frisbee. You know, and I didn't know that that was part of his act. I just thought, where did this guy come from? Uh, you bought into the illusion that and you it was just brilliant. Of it. It was brilliant, a brilliant construct. Yeah. A guy with no act, Shakespearean actor. He was never on mic. Oh, wandering. So then I did go up. With a little bit of liquid encouragement, and um, with the same oh. the same night. So, how much older than uh, were, Robin was, was he... four years older? Okay, he, he was not. He was just starting to maybe go down to L.A. I came back two weeks later, and I this is not a joke. I got paid two dollars. He got paid like six dollars. You know, no we stood way. there. You know, yeah. So he had been doing it for a while, four years probably, because okay. he went to New York. He was already a god then to me. You know, really, well, four because- years in, he was already good. He just, he'd do three hours a night. He just, he just, I think his theater training also, you know, he was 26 at like the time. Like a marathon runner. And he he was doing a lot of Shakespearean stuff yeah, yeah, and yeah. references, you know, white courtesy telephone, Prime Minister Botha, you know. <laughs> and it was all this collage. But So I was in awe. I actually interviewed him for a school pay. I was at San Francisco State, and I had a... Uh, an assignment, a class to interview somebody. So I interviewed Robin. No way. And with a little tape recorder in the little hippie dive. And I said, what is your dream? Because I thought he'd be, he goes, oh, I just want to play for the people. And forget that. (laughs) And he did have this interesting kind of almost British Lord voice. Yeah. This great voice. Yeah. Um, He just wanted to play for the people. Oh, I just want to play for the people. (laughs) It's a wonderful, a wonderful rhythm. I just want to play for the people. I thought, you know, so I was already in awe of him. That goes back to the music. That's some good music. Yeah. Yeah, a little good ringtone. So then where I was in 78 getting out of college two years later was just the renaissance, the first, second, fifth renaissance, whatever was happening. Of stand-up. There was no full-time stand-up comedy club in Northern California at that time. Yep. And by the time I got SNL, 10 years later from the time I started, I don't know, 20? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. So did you meet uh, Robin that night or was it just, well, to finish the story, do you go up? I went up. I did um, all uh, little bits. I actually, because things weren't working, I I instinctually said uh, after a pause, um, moving right along, and that was getting a laugh Uh. just because of the breaking the tension. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the bits were ridiculous. Uh, I did an X-rated Wizard of Oz. It's uh, horrible and humiliating. Um, X-rated Wizard of Oz was, uh, let's see, the, the uh, who was it, the Tin Man? I'd get hard and I'd have foreplay. I'd even have some more play if I only had a dick. You know, bring me the witch's dildo. You know, that kind of stuff. You just... So you were doing life bits yeah. on your runs. Yes. You had a couple beers. Yeah. You saw everyone other than Robin yes. wasn't that great. Right. And you go up. And I end. went up. It did, had it cleared out by that point? Oh, God. It must have been 10 people, probably. Yeah. yeah. Late night, hippie dive, just ridiculous <laughs> environment. I, um, you know, I had a resident Star Trek bit at the time <laughs> that I did with my friends in junior college. Yeah. And then at that time when, you know, they were stoned and the Volkswagen bug. I'm can't believe it. So that was... Uh, I, I, what worked? You have to remember what worked. What worked was I, how could moving right William along. Shatner... Um, they had Nomad. Okay, the robot wanders the universe. You, are you familiar with A little the bit, first, yep. little bit. The robot, it, it floats in space. It wanders the universe, destroys civilization. So its phrase was, I am Nomad. I must destroy. So for three million years, it's been destroying civilizations. It takes William Shatner 22 seconds... <laughs> 
to manipulate this thing that's been on a successful run for four million years. You got, I must destroy imperfection. But you are imperfect. I am no man. I am no man. I am no man. And it blows itself up. So that worked. That worked. I had that. X-rated Wizard of Oz. And John and, Wayne. And Jimmy Stewart swearing. <laughs> it's like filthy Bill Cosby. It's Jimmy like, Stewart swearing. Yeah. It would just be like, yeah. Well, well fuck you. <laughs> Never didn't get a laugh. I, I did him as a waiter. I did him. But Jimmy Stewart swearing. <laughs> And years later, I did it on Letterman. They bleeped it out. As no, I yeah, about for sure. It. And then Dennis, the same character, came up to me and goes, Carvey, I can rank jokes for a, for a millennium. Nothing beats Steward with an F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so funny, right? Another. <laughs> Sorry, I'll wind it down. So No, I want you to wind I'll it up. wind it up. We need a silly one. Uh, so did mm-hmm. the other comedian see? I, I asked about Robin, obviously, mm-hmm. because we know him, mm-hmm. but... Did the other comedians see? Did you become part of the community a little? Bit? I did. I I sometimes I was I didn't do stand up that much because I had terrible stage fright. Mm. Would be drenched in sweat all day. The palms of my hands would turn bright red. My neck would turn bright red. Hmm. I would be just in a uh, just a panic state do every you, time I did it. Do you remember why? <laughs> I I don't know. Why do you have stage fright? Did you ever have stage fright? I did. Yeah, yeah. But the fantasies of it going really really badly, or uh, I guess I, hmm. I like. Following those threads, it seems so obvious, but like, what did you think would happen? Well, a lot of times <laughs> it did happen, which would really? be abject public humiliation. <laughs> oh, God. Let me tell you a quick story, Please. ladies and gentlemen. Here's a classic one. So, Jackson Engine Shytown. I feel like uh, Scott Meeknick. Who's that? Detroit Lions, 54. <laughs> He's brilliant mime. I uh, was still in college. I'd won the comedy competition where Mort Saul, Robin Williams gave me the check. I no won $500. Way. The first one up there in 77. All right. And, so um, you got up, neck red, shirt sweaty. That was 18 months in. I guess for some reason I was okay. Okay. But other times, you know, so they, George Slaughter came up, new Laugh-In show, mm-hmm. brought me to L.A. I was had done just i was so green that uh i bought a corduroy suit to meet him (laughs) and to wear so i i they got me a spot at the westwood comedy store so this is a guy going to his death but doesn't know it so i didn't have any experience about calling an audible what's the rhythm of the room don't go right into your act yet i had none of that i had the star trek john wayne having sex jimmy you know come on i got the corduroy suit on i go up packed the hottest packed yeah uh, my first joke, it's, I'd never had the experience you know, of just dead silence, and then dead silence, and then dead silence, and then sweating through, and sweating through, and sweating through. Mm. My girlfriend at the time was in the booth. Off, you know, I'm looking over. She's not getting eye contact. I literally bombed so hard and so bad that I get off stage. It's abject humiliation. They brought J.J. Walker, was supposed to go on a few later. They yeah. pushed him up there yeah, because they were afraid I was going to walk the room. Like, I was so bad that the whole audience was going, fuck oh. this, we're out of here. And then I sat next to my girlfriend at the time, and she scooched over. She, she made some separation from me. Oh, yeah. no. That was, see, so. There is a feeling. It's like a spell has been put on you after a bomb. Nobody wants to touch you, look yes. at you. Yes. They don't want to rub off on you. There's nothing, nothing worse. Nothing yeah. worse. So that yeah. was where all the fear came from. So you, But you won the contest, so you clearly had a good set, and, and Robin that was, uh, gave you uh, $500. That uh, was like a year before. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am. Um, when you say brought you to L.A., what does that mean? People come, hear things like that, and they're like, 
Well, George Slaughter and his people saw me at the Mustard Seed Cafe in San Francisco. They yeah. were trolling for comedy talent. I didn't know they were there. Uh, 50 people, low ceilings. I had a good set. Yeah. So then he said, come down to L.A. And I guess I got the information to come to his office. Mm. But I treated it like a I was... I, you know, at a job interview at Burger King or something. He kept trying to have me be funny, and I was just very, very polite. And um, so I didn't get the laugh-in revival. Robin did. Yeah. You know, I don't know who else, but I didn't get that. Her. So. her. I know, that's it. I just do it for Robin. Oh, oh don't be afraid. Oh, right now there's a man going, hello. <laughs> it was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> right now we see there's a man going, he's going, and the man is gone. <laughs> We don't, we don't know where he went. But Robin, in the last five years, now what time, became a very good friend of mine because yeah. he was up in the Mill Valley. I just moved back to Hollywood. That's right. Know? I was up there at the Throckmorton Theater, which you would love if you ever want to have right? fun. Yeah. Best theater in the country. Yeah. No way. Oh, you would destroy. You'd What's love it, it called? Throckmorton. Thro- it even has a funny name. Throckmorton. <laughs> what do you suggest is nothing short of madness. Good day to you, sir. Can I tell you something that made me happy the other day? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Just in terms of uh, voices and things. I did, when Scarface first came out, which I did a little bit on Conan, right? You did, yeah. And now it's, I've renewed it. It's become fun because I realize that I don't practice how he'll say things. I'm taking what Pacino did and extenuating it. Mm-hmm. So the, the other day, I figured just by the way I was holding my mouth how he would say carrot cake. <laughs> and it made me happy. <laughs> and again, it's just totally ridiculous. So, you know, you got, you got another here to warm me, what? I don't like it, mom. Why you fuck with me, mom? All I want is a little cack, cack. And I didn't know he would say it that way, but it's because the way the way he's it now, like he has a. I like a little cack, cack. Excuse me. Churro had a cack, cack, and I didn't know he'd say it that way. It made me happy. I think it's all trying to get rid of anxiety. <laughs> Whereas edgy things about life and death don't yeah, get rid of this yeah, yeah, yeah. horrible weight we have on it's us. It's funny. I try to I remember like that. I like a cat a Yeah. I yeah. just want to be. And so does the audience. Everybody would love an excuse to just laugh at Well, madness. Silly. What's better than just absolute madness? <laughs> the, the, I'm going to go play the, uh, what is it called? The Tempe Improv this yes, week with yes. my sons. So I'll see if I can wind that down. If I can make that bit go 10 minutes, great. <laughs> You know, playground bit. Yeah, I mean, if if I can get in a space where there is no act and I'm just going like I would with a big group of friends. Yeah, like you like carrot cake. Okay, we're gonna do a lot more Pacino tonight. That's the way we're talking about. You're lost. It's just a great. Here's one. Here's one I did that was madness and ridiculous and not very hip. But I. I lie. I like I like a little cack cack. cack, cack. You know, I can't do them, but I mm-hmm. want to do them with you. Um, so bad. I never got this to work. I I was in Austin. I kind of I thought of it and then I bombed. All the presidents were staying at my hotel. I was driving down from I guess it'd be Dallas. Yeah. So I just hatched this idea that all the presidents ditched Jimmy Carter, <laughs> and they're getting drunk in a room like you know. Ha ha. Anybody in there? <laughs> No, we're not. We're, 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 you know, I know you're in there. Yeah, we're, kind of, we're kind of busy, Jimmy. The, the, yeah. the current president has to answer him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, Bill Clinton, don't, don't say anything. Well, first I had them real quiet, like, yeah, yeah, keep it down. <laughs> well, maybe we should say something. Hi, you got, I know you guys are in there. And then the abstraction was Jimmy Carter just going, I got, I got peanut butter pie. I got peanut butter shoes, peanut butter pants, peanut butter hair, and a peanut butter belt. 
And, it's that, and then they answer the door, Jimmy, you don't have peanut butter pants. I do. I got peanut butter shoes, peanut butter pants. And I was so excited about this bit, but I did not have that rhythm with the audience. And I was really excited. So maybe I love, again, that's just peanut butter pants, peanut butter shoes, peanut butter hair, and a peanut butter hat. I don't know why. And I hadn't done Jimmy Carter in 30 years. But he's back. It's written baby. right there. Peanut What's butter Jimmy. Peanut butter Jimmy. Makes no sense. The new album. Hmm. What if there's just no one at the, te- the all, Tempe Improv? All when like, is this airing? <laughs> how do you... Yeah, we'll plug it. How do you... You know, I think it's a tricky thing, apprenticing someone. Mm-hmm. And never mind... I think it, it, it can be a little bit father-son. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's weird, uh, weird, not in a bad way. Here you are somewhat in a position to potentially apprentice your children. I am. And you are. I am. Isn't that... How long has that been happening? Um, in specific, like like really eight months. Eight months. Because we'll just sit around. They wanted to do it. They started doing it without me knowing. Yeah. And then so naturally they did a long, long time. And then if you see somebody, anybody, and you go, well, I'm not really clear with that setup. It's just, it's instinctual. It's not like classes in. It's just right. like, what are you trying to say there? I think you could say it quicker. Right, right, right. Just stuff like that is the first. And they don't resent that? No, they love it. Because they see it working. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't do it in a in an electoral. I just go. Maybe you could truncate that yeah. and get it. You know, yeah, I yeah, would yeah. show them your set on Conan potentially. Okay, because the I'm the guest lecture. Well, you were just an example <laughs> of a pro. It's just like, wow, that's just gonna get a laugh because you're just stacking these word packages perfectly. I love the way you think about it. You're right. Yeah, little brown paper packages. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah, you know, there yeah. is arithmetic to this at some point. Then there's the art. That's something yeah. else. Yeah, later. If you're lucky, right? Where it's all about some macro truth of your life. If, that's, you, if that's your goal, do you want? Is that your goal? Um, you know, I'm exactly like you, and part of me uh, would love the idea. Of, and I do some bits that are uh, maybe politically incorrect or a little dark mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. you know. But then, in the end of the day, part of me just wants to go, cack, cack. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, I have both sides. You know, it's weird. Yeah, but I, I think the carrot cake got. <laughs> But that, I think that's what I, if I did anything, that's probably what I do best, you know, gotcha. is winding down rhythms, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So. The music, the music yeah. performance. Yeah, but, you know, you get influenced by people like what Louis done and uh, Patton Oswalt, and you go, wow, that's really cool, you know. That's but really- then we also do have the phenomenon of a lot of people that have been doing it like your son's very short time, trying to be like Louis right away. And crazy, So yeah. they, they go up and they realize that they never learned how to paint photorealistic, and then they go up after. Yeah, and I think for me, I didn't realize I was a sketch player who happened to be doing stand-up. <laughs> right. Because I was always trying to do sketch. Yeah. And I, you'd be in a honky tonk <laughs> bar with a blender going, and you know they're writing their checks. Excuse me, bronchial yeah. spasm. Yep. You kiss the button. You got the button. Oh, you got a little thing in your esophagus. <laughs> That's another word I like. Esophagus. <laughs> so I wanted to be a sketch player, but I didn't know it. Yeah. And so until I got to the other cafe with 90-seat place, yeah. like going out with my boys, and I realized that's the place I like to play. Small. Because I want to do a sketch. And if they can't see my attitude, you know, in a big room. Yeah. Tempe Improv? I don't know. Maybe it's in the middle. I, I 450. Have I done the Tempe Improv? I saw you're doing the Irvine Improv. I went on. I checked, I uh, that, checked that, out your website. <laughs> I'm glad that's on there. Thank you for playing that. Holmes will be at the Irvine Improv. Two shows. Wait, who woke you up? All shows are non-drinking. No, what? <laughs> who woke me up? Who, who woke you up to the idea that you were more of a sketch fella? Well, I just realized it maybe even recently, you know? Really? Yeah. It wasn't SNL? 
Oh, well, Lauren, I auditioned as a stand-up. Yeah. You know. I think that's so crazy because you're you, when you think of the stand-ups, you think of like Chris Rock. Yeah. David Spade. I, I was doing Churchly. Yeah. I was doing character work and then exactly. some few jokes. I was doing impressions. And, right. You know. But you seem like such a character guy in, uh, in that vein. Yes. As opposed to the, the talky guys. When I landed on SNL, I was in the perfect arena for me to do stuff. Yeah. Because a sing- singular brand is sort of um, what we think of uh, George Carlin or Pryor, a, a, a singular voice. Right. Um, and a voice so strong it comes through no matter what they're doing. Yeah, and if you're a, uh, a sketch player, you want to do different different sub brands. Like Hans and Franz is its own brand, right? Uh, Church Lady is a brand. Wayne's World's a brand. But as far as me, I'm a complete enigma wrapped inside <laughs> a mystery. What is it? Who is it? And mostly, why is it? And can't it go away? <laughs> but that guy has so much to offer. What a fun fun oh, friend! It's a, it's a fun thing to do. What know, a fun Mark. nickel to put put in the jukebox. That's a yeah. So anyway, um, do you find no matter? Like, I would love to talk about SNL. Here's something funny. Sure. Here's this. see you have air circles and checks too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For this, definitely, yeah, I yeah. want you to tell your Paul McCartney story. Yeah. But here's one. This this was a citation mm-hmm. needed. I think this would be a fun game to play on the show. I went to your Wikipedia page. This one needs citation. You can give it. Right. You can remove that. Yes. According good. to Wikipedia, sure. It's- Chris Farley referred to you as the lady. True. Citation no longer needed. <laughs> yes, because when Farley arrived and Chris Rock and Sandler, this whole yeah. junior varsity wave came in and they would sit behind us. You know, I was again, I was on Letterman. I just made a joke about, you know who I am? I'm the fucking church lady. Now get me a cup of coffee. <laughs> Come on, you bitches. You know what this is? You know, because that character exploded beyond time or space. Yeah. I don't even really still understand it. It's yeah. not even my favorite or anything. It just became something, a bigger animal. It than, caught in the zeitgeist. Well, we it, the ratings would just go huge when she was on. And of course, I had the brilliant Phil Hartman and Jan Hooks, God rest her soul, mm-hmm. as my sidekicks mm-hmm. that first year. And they could do anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I did. And then Farley only called me the lady. I think Chris Rock has only called me the lady. Lady, just lady, just years of lady. Hey, lady. How you doing, lady? And I just thought it was funny. Sandler only calls me Carvey. 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 I mean, Jimmy Fallon does it far better, but that's my. That's just a pudding. And I love Sandler from the beginning. Of course. Because of that rhythm. And he was not working the first few months. It was like they put Adam out there and be like, crickets. And I remember Lauren Michaels go, do you think Adam, do you think he's got it or what do you think? I said, it'll be bigger than all of us. <laughs> Did you really? Absolutely. Because he had, there, there's the comedian and then there's the person. And yeah. his charm level, and he was really young. His teeth were super wide. I used to tease him. But he was just like, he had this thing of guys, you know, the whole thing. The guys want to hang out with Adam. The girls all loved him. Yeah. He was the only comedian I know who could get laid without, you know, you wouldn't have to be famous. Most right. comedians got to get really famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, or get get on stage. Right. Know? But he was just, he's just a charming. He just had yeah. this this thing this thing and also he's really really funny. So. I remember when uh Farley died they did some benefit show or I don't know if it was a benefit mm-hmm. show but David Spade had that It was years after actually. Mm-hmm. It was years after. You okay. couldn't make this joke at that show. Maybe you were there. And David Spade goes 
people ask me, uh, what do I think? What do, where would Chris Farley be mm. if he were still alive? And he goes, he'd be like all of us working for Sandler. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. It didn't work, and then he made a face like, I told you it wouldn't work. <laughs> like, like he, he, didn't, he didn't want to do the bet, but he that's did the funny. bet. Yeah. I, I watched Funner. that. <clears throat> yeah. That SNL, there's an SNL documentary. James Franco made it. I don't recommend it. I bet it'll give you panic dreams. Well, I'm sure it's just the, the there's the truth as everyone sees it. I can't imagine what was its theme or it's what it's so much better. Oh, it was about him being the, the host. It would, no, yeah. it was actually he directed it and it was about Malkovich being the host. And then, When I was on or later? Cause later. Lovitz and I did. Uh, I think it was later. He was with me and Lovitz. I guess he hosted a second time. I couldn't watch it. Maybe you were in it because I couldn't watch it because it was stressing me out. And I, I really was like... I would say it's a why, stressful place. Why does it have to be that way? Well, it just it just is. I think it's gotten <laughs> it more is. stressful. Yeah. Well, it's too... Even when I got there in 86, it started in 75. So I'm watching it, and they're, they're rock stars. I When they cast me, I thought, well, I'm just this little... I mean, they can't... I always saw those guys as like, they might make you laugh. They could also beat you up. To me, they were pirate superstars. <laughs> you know, pirate. Belushi will cut you or yeah. make you laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill Murray will slug you in the face, yeah. humiliate you. Yeah, you something's going to happen. Yeah, they were badasses. So when I came in, you know, I give Lauren credit. You know, he's small, but, you know, he's got the voices. Maybe maybe there's something there. So, another great voice to do. Wonderful voice. Um, Dana, um, never forget the value of water. What? <laughs> Just a random piece of advice. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's the McCartney story. Whenever you want to oh, go, go ahead, there. hit it. I get on SNL. Um, I got it at Igby's on the West Side. Close a uh, club that closed. Rosie O'Donnell was headlining. What do you mean? That's where you auditioned? Yeah, you but I, audi- I auditioned three other times. Mm-hmm. I followed Kennison at the Comedy Store at midnight, like in '84, mm-hmm. to audition. Cor- corduroy suit? No, threw on the corduroy, but dead silent. Yeah. He levitated the room, and then it was just... And now, there was no even... Who did that? Why would they do that? There was just comedian after comedian. No MC. Just guy would do five, get off, get off, get off, get off. So wow. when it came back around again, I said, oh, I can't do it at the... Uh, I can't do it at the improv. I can't. So this little club, um, Rosie was headlining. I didn't even know Rosie, but she... I called and said, can I come in there? So we... You know, she said, sure. So Because I was bringing Lorne Michaels... He brought Brandon Tartikoff, the head of NBC, and they both arrived with Cher. So they, was, yeah. they were sharing Cher? Yeah, they were sharing Cher. You give the carrot cake and you put your carrot in the cake. Well, you put your carrot in the cake. In the cake. See, that's the. I thought in the carrot. So I wanted it to be even more nonsensical. You put your carrot, you put in, the the carrot, carrot. in the carrot. Doesn't even quite make sense. And... It fits perfect. But that's how I got the show, I think. I did Church Lady Chop Broccoli. I did my impressions. Yeah. And Lorne, then I met with him. He said there was a gentleman who came in the other day. Um, there was something about his shoes. It just didn't work for me. You know, what? And I looked down at my feet. I was hoping I was, you know, 
Yeah. There has to be an absurd sort of mystical quality. Once you're in that place where it really is like a little bit of a godhead, Lauren, at the helm of a, a, mm-hmm. a pretty amazing ship, a historically amazing ship uh, that we all revere. Right. I, I don't know any comedians that are going out going like, fuck that show. <laughs> in fact, it's always seen as a sign of ignorance if you're like, this cast isn't as good. It's like, that's what they always say. That's what when, they always say. When will we learn that that's what they always say? But everybody uh, tips their hat to the strange thing. I would mm-hmm. even say maybe even more than it is on paper. You know what I mean? It has a mythical quality, yeah. a larger-than-life quality, and Lorne does too. So I have to mm-hmm. think that at some point in his office when he is taking meetings, he probably is like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like his glasses. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just this crazy brainiac, and his sensibility informs everything. And I, I, I often thought, because I didn't realize that – he was the smartest boss I ever had because I'll, I'll, down along the way I had other directors, producers. And I went, oh. And so I think all the Harvard guys, you know, uh, Downey and Franken, Conan, all these guys, they would have they ran roughshed over someone who wasn't their peer. You mm, know, mm-hmm. the Lorne sensibility, it's kind of like what John Lennon said about Pete Best. You know, he's not a Beatle, you know. And Lorne, whatever, he, at least this was – we were the last pre-giant cast – because mm-hmm. it was just Phil Hartman, Jan and me were hired. Nora was there with John Lovitz. And then there was Whitney Brown and Dennis. Whitney was a feature player and Kevin. So it was like me, John, and Phil were like the – so I was – my very first show, I was in the cold opening. I didn't even know I was in the cold opening. I didn't even know how it worked. And then I I ended up – the church lady was the last sketch in the practice show. Yeah. And I went, isn't that special? And it just killed. So it moved up to the first sketch. <laughs> And then I had chopped broccoli at the end of the show. This is Sigourney Weaver. So I'm so terrified. Remember, I'm back just, how the fuck? I was playing a pizza parlor, I'm not kidding, in yeah. Martinez in June. This is October. And I'm like, I can't believe my manager, Brad Gray, is ahead of Paramount, who kind of talks like this. He came into my dressing room. I'm just fucking panicked. He goes, I don't know why it is. I don't know why it happened, but it's your show. It's your show. Tonight's your show. And the show had been... Not even renewed for a full season. It was the lowest ebb of its time. Yeah. We were told, if you don't hit the ground running, you're going to turn the light out on Saturday Night Live. It's your show. I don't know why it is, but it's your show. And it's going to be so you. So he leaves, and I'm just swearing into the mirror, trying to calm myself. Fuck you. I was just so scared. And if you look at the church lady and some of those early, and the hand goes up, wet with sweat. Completely. Yeah, just of course. wet. Um, oh, my God. Scary. But then you get the laugh, right? Once you get the laugh, and I'd not, the first time I ever did sketch comedy was on Saturday Night Live. So my head would go to the audience. I want in a sketch. I'd hear the laugh. I wanted to face them. Yeah, yeah. Because it's stand up. Yeah. Uh, Dana, you're you're actually in a scene, so you look at the person who's talking to you, not to the audience. It's that thing of like, you know, we're suspending disbelief. (laughs) He's the the greatest. He was the greatest. And he, uh, Lauren. I like what you said about being steamrolled. He would have been steamrolled by these huge personalities. So he yeah. had to kind of assume the role, almost like a cult leader of some sort of deity. Yes. Right? Yeah. And now it's a little bit because of the, you know, obviously social media and the large cast. I feel like it's like Survivor or something. Because we know everyone who's on there through social media and who's going to stay on the island. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very different. I think that having a 40 year, because that thing comes up. In February, 40 years of this show. Oh, my God. So you go on there and you're like, man, the legacy behind you. 
I mean, we had the Eddie Murphy years. We had um, we meeting me, Phil and Chan stuff. We yeah. had the original cast, and then we had the um, the Billy Crystal year, one year with mm-hmm. with uh, you know Christopher Guest, mm-hmm. uh, everybody reveres, and Martin Short, huge hero. Yeah, you know, these yeah. are just amazing stories. It, it, it's it's still. The, it, I read Jay Moore's book. I <laughs> gasping for airtime. Did you read it? Uh, no, but he, he says, was there. Yeah, this is a funny thing about how no matter what he did, he was in Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise. Right, yeah. it doesn't matter. You're all when you do late night, they say when you did Connor from Saturday Night Live, they say from Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah, and that was just to go full circle. Uh, Lauren said, and "This is a quick story, but Lauren said, I, uh, why don't you come out to my house in Long Island?' I, I was casting the show. I stayed in Long in his house for a month. <laughs> Chevy Chase was next door, coming over. It was me, a Whitney Brown, and Lauren." Um, you can have Jack's room. Jack, uh, Jack Nicholson, you know, <laughs> it was always, you know, and I'm just nervous and I'm in Long Island and I didn't feel funny. I didn't feel anything. Yeah. I felt, why am I here? Yeah. And I woke up, I woke up one day and I looked out in the lawn and Lauren was naked, lying down on a, he's getting a massage, you know, <laughs> and he would like produce dinner because um, he had a little, you prick some corn with Whitney and they'll get the poultry and he was, he was like producing it. And then he was at dinner time. I realized he produced it. Um, but he said, tonight Paul's coming over. And so Paul McCartney came over yeah. with Linda. And that was just out of body. It was just, you're, you're Paul. I'm here. Yeah. He just had recorded a new song. He wants to put it on. Linda's right next to him. Lorne Michaels, Chevy Chase, Whitney Brown. And so he puts the song on and he leans into me and he goes, this is a quote, not even have to be a joke. Sometimes when you're writing, you, you work so hard to live up to whatever. You end up ruining the fucker. <laughs> I've only met him 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And he's God. telling me. But I did have the presence of mind when I met Paul McCartney out to go, who, who wrote yesterday? And I didn't... <laughs> so there was there was an album called Tug of War. So I talked about that song, uh, the, the title song. And I talked about a specific lyric when I met him. Some One day we'll stand up on top of the mountain with our flag unfurled, but it won't be soon enough. And he just, that was it. He was just like, he was oh, on. He lit up. Yeah, and then we became fast friends after no. that. The next night, he brought his new album, Press to Play. And I go, oh, you brought the album. Because they came over four nights in a row for like five, six hours. We would hang Each out. Each night? Each night. Paul and Linda coming over. The kids are in the bed in Long Island. And um, I go, oh, you brought the album. And Linda said to Paul, see, I told you he'd want to hear it. They were having conversations They were about talking about you! <laughs> they talked about you! So we visited them over there, and he points to the piano and the guitar and the little house they were renting. Cases in the inspiration. And then his, his son, James, was dropping a plastic uh, sword on, on his, what, his daughter. You do that again, we're going to have a problem. So seeing him in a domestic... Parenting. You yeah, saw parenting. him parent. Yeah. So that's, anyway, it was, uh, it was quite remarkable. That's second only to food order. I want to know what people are eating. And yes. I want to know how they're parenting their kids, for sure, if they have children. Well, it's very, it's an intimate kind of a situation to be right. in. So the end of the story is, is 10 years later, something arrives in the mail, and it's a big old thing signed by Paul. It's an LP of his uh, album, Flowers in the Dirt, which was really well received. Mm. Nice note. We're giving this to a hundred of our grooviest friends. How you doing, Dane? Uh, weird, huh? No! Strange! So, Isn't it spooky? But what I keep getting from you This is, is where you pause the podcast, <laughs> get your friend, and rewind it. Listen to this, man. Hit that 15 back button. Mm-hmm. You know that button? There's a 15-second back button. Yeah. I love it. Um, do you guys it. always do it up here? Because it's a little sauna-like, isn't it? It is really hot. Because <laughs> it's a humid day. Look at the dog. The I'm dog, fine. The dog has passed away. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
It hasn't moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there she is. <laughs> um, so anyway, that was that. I keep getting struck, though, that by your uh, misfit status in your own brain. You're, you know, yeah. like, I don't you're, fit anywhere. And you're, yeah. you're not a guy that's like, I'm going to get on SNL. I'm going to get famous. I'm going to get a film career. No. Then I'm going to you know, host a late night show. I know you're up for that. Uh, right? Well, the one that Conan took. Yeah, yeah. the one that Conan took. Yeah. But you never... You just seem like a really, really funny guy who is also like a really, really normal guy. You know what I mean? Not um, a Hollywood guy. Uh, I guess not, but that might make me the most bizarre. I don't know. I mean, why? who else would just leave Hollywood, you know? Yeah. Um, I basically... Basically what happened was oh, I come off SNL and I'd gotten so big that there was everything coming at me. Yeah. And I had no experience. Do you want to do the late show that Conan eventually took? Yeah. I'll get you $30 million up front. <laughs> you want to stay at SNL? We could probably get you 60 grand an episode. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was still making, taking home about 100 grand a year, seven years after SNL. Really? And my rent was 50, so it was, uh, it was not a money. That's why you kind of had to leave, you know, because you just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all these movies were being offered, and I, I did one movie because I thought, the guy had done L.A. Story with Steve Martin, and it was horrible. Mm. And I had no tools. I'm terrible in it. And then I did Trapped in Paradise with John Lovitz, who is a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. really funny, and Nicolas Cage, who I loved. <laughs> horrible nightmare in the snow. Complete disaster beyond anything you could ever imagine. We would have night shoots for months, and they would do the potato flakes. I only found out later we had to dub all our dialogue later. <laughs> really? All our dialogue has to be dubbed? And Nicolas Cage, we would just, you know, we, we were so throwing in the towel. It, it, lunch was at 1 a.m. At 1 a.m., so we were just drinking heavily because we were just going to fall around in the snow. The director was an AWOL. <laughs> We're just going to fall around the snow. I think I'll get another bottle. <laughs> and we were in some little town in Canada, the middle of nowhere. And we looked by and it was something west. Nicholas's film was playing. And the, they were closing up. It was like two in the morning. Suddenly Nicholas Cage is there. Can we see it? You know, so we sat there just drinking. And they pushed us down in the snow. It was just a nightmare. So then um, after that, I thought, wow, this is really fucked up. I just turned down everything. And then I thought, wow, I really miss sketch comedy. So then I did the show with uh, Smigel and um, Louie was my head writer. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe you've heard of these guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Steve Carell. Yeah, Colbert. (laughs) Stephen Colbert, Mm -hmm. Charlie Kaufman, Mm -hmm. Dino. That one? Yeah, yeah, those guys. (laughs) Um, So we did that, and that was, again, it was just, that was another sort of miraculous. It is miraculous. It's the craziest who's who ever. Yeah, and that it was on ABC. That's even and more bizarre. We were doing. I was doing Bill Clinton with the fake tits and that, you know. <laughs> and they showed us the the data, and we were at seventeen million. And then by the end of that, we were like at four million. But we were following Spin City. It was ridiculous. <laughs> they all, you know, should have been on HBO. Yeah. But anyway, it was cool. It was still is remembered as a good show. So of course, I enjoyed it. it. Yeah, 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 I enjoyed it because we did a lot of stuff without an audience. Because. I like that a lot because when I'm in front of an audience, I just have this killer instinct of must destroy, and I, it's kind of embarrassing to right. me sometimes. That you want to kill so hard. Yeah, yeah. That you just go, uh, you just will do, you'll just prostate yourself and embarrass yourself with anything. You right. Know, just embarrassing. Does that go back to, does that, the feeling of getting off stage after you've killed, that uh, obviously that's a good feeling. Is that before anxious, after, do you feel a little bit more like Belushi, like you could punch somebody? <laughs> 
don't know if I've ever felt that, but I do know that Robin maybe or just influence set the bar so high. There were other people, Bobby Slate and Michael Pritchard. I just felt like a comedian's job is to destroy, mm. to kill. And maybe that's why sometimes I didn't find it as, you know, I, I would, would happily go to the club and then circle it and then drive home. Yeah. With a single tear coming down my <laughs> <laughs> what so, about running your own show? Was that a hard pair of pants to wear? Was that a, a hard to... Well, kind of. I had Smigel, who also, he performed a lot. And it was, you know, we were just so on our heels getting the show together. When we decided to do it in New York, we shot ourselves in the foot. We didn't have a studio. So there was a soap opera that we borrowed their studio. So we had to go get it in on Saturday. So we'd do the show at 5 o'clock Sunday. And the crowd was cranky and angry. <laughs> and I'm coming out. It was, a, it was a comedy of errors in that sense. Yeah. It was just that when we looked at it after the fact, it was like, wow, we did some really cool stuff because we had so many good people yeah. on the show. But it was just, if it had been on HBO, it might it would have found its footing. For sure, for sure. Yeah. But having be. control or working with people with incredibly similar sensibilities. Yeah. Do you have any experiences in this? <laughs> it's so fun. Not really. No, I, mean, I do. On my, on my show, I got to do that for sure. Yeah. And it was a fun factor. Right. Well, every day you got to show up at the Fun Factory. Did you have any kind of, any show you've ever done where you had pressure from people without your sensibility or suggestions or notes? The crazy thing is the TBS show that we did after Conan was so hands-off. I don't know. I, I don't even right. know if I yet know what it's like to have a show right. in the in the traditional sense where you do have to answer notes. But the only note we got in 80 episodes was don't say lupus. Mm-hmm. And we used to say... Crazy <laughs> shit on that show. Right, but don't say lupus. Don't say That's lupus. Funny. The pilot of the first episode of that show aired and I said fuck in the monologue two or three times and it just didn't get bleeped because they just assumed I wasn't gonna swear. Wow. And like no one checked. Can I Google that? <laughs> I think you can. Wow. Isn't that nuts? We were watching mm-hmm. it in a bar and I was like, shouldn't they be bleeping that? I just said motherfucker. Maybe it wasn't a good sign. <laughs> well, now looking back, I'm kind of like, there's a level where hands off, maybe you should feel good that yeah. you're getting noted to death because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, they're, they're definitely invested in it. I don't know if that means they weren't invested in us. I think they were. But it was a fun factory. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Right. I learned later that people had beefs between different people. About... It's, like, the show? Just about how the show was run. Oh. Uh, I think for the most part it was when I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like second in commands, third in commands, and they're running things. And, yeah. and you assume that it's going a certain way. And you want it to be happy, happy, fun time. But at a certain point, somebody has to kind of play the bad guy. And that rubs other people mm-hmm. the wrong way. And a lot of us were friends. And suddenly one of your friends is your boss. And like nobody likes that. Yeah, I think in a perfect world you have a uh, you know a first lieutenant that's very loyal. Yeah, and they do kind of the nitty gritty p- politicking. Yeah, and making things happen. And keep you. I out. mean, I didn't realize till later that Lorne Michaels uh, was so protective of me, um, and I, I didn't really have that. I've never had that the same. Hmm. You know, he really want Dana's a bit light in the show. He kept putting me out in the in the front of the show. Really. Um, because I would just be out there like a monkey puppet, God dang animal, you know. <laughs> I wasn't going down for nobody, you understand? I never go down. Because that was the only time when you're doing N1, George Bush, the camera, that you could improvise. Yeah. And so sometimes I thought, oh, I'm definitely in trouble tonight. Yeah. Because there were the jokes, well, Sodom, but we're coming in, going like that, going in that area. And the crowd's going crazy, and I just thought, you know. But Lauren protected it. You yeah. Know? I, I learned later that a lot of the writers were like, really? Come on. They were really? upset about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you were silly time. Yeah. Yeah. 
not writing time. No, but Al and I would talk about it, and you go, well, do the jokes, and then you can do your thing, you know. But he wants oh, the, the jokes. Because you would skip jokes. Well, I would just instinctually out there, I go, these are too many words. Now, <laughs> and I'm going to feel like I'm taking a test. And I have to get through it. So let's yeah. pull some stuff out yeah. so it can breathe a little bit. And I don't feel like, oh, man, I've got to cram this in. To be honest, I think that's one of the big things that a performer should be able to do is yeah. look at something that's way too wordy and like right. say, what is this? The military? Like, am I de- delivering a eulogy for a general? Yeah. Or? And, you know, writer writers are very – they get very uh, pregnant with their, yes. their words. And it is hard to, you know, um, get them out of there. But that ability to read it <laughs> – did you just smell the microphone? No, I was going to make... I just did it. <laughs> what do you do when you go on stage to make yourself ready to be funny? That's a good question. Because sometimes I will just pretend that the microphone is a, is a telescope. Right up top? <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, because it's good problems to have, but they're all just this SNL stuff and these characters. They're just, can you just do yeah, that, yeah. please? Please, yeah. it's a good problem to have, but they're just waiting, 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 and I'll right. do little bits for them. Is that know. an is that a living hell? No, not at all. It's better than <laughs> that's the alternative. My, that's my question. It's better than the alternative. Yeah. We've never heard of you. We don't care. Yeah. Um, I get a kick out of doing new stuff that would get as big a laugh or bigger than the old stuff. That's absolutely that's right. That's fun. Well, I opened yeah. for Marty, as if I know him, Martin Short. Did you? And one time, and mm-hmm. I saw him do a very similar thing, destroying, mm-hmm. and uh, such a showman, mm-hmm. similar to what I have to imagine your current hour is like, but doing a lot of the things that people want to see mm-hmm. and administering joy, very much mainlining it into the audience. I, I I don't think that would be a living hell. My question was, was it? But I think that would be a lot of fun. No, I, I'll riff with it. I'll reinvent it. I'll, you know, yeah. but they'll get a little church lady. It's, <laughs> she's the easiest if they heckle. Then I get to do it yeah. without, you know, wow, yeah. wow, wow. What do I say? It's like, Mr. Brain has some thoughts and it's coming out Mr. Mouth. Let's keep our voices inside the cranium like others, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's still, it's a fun attitude to play. Condescension, patronizing condescension. Of course. We've got a podcast. Wow. (laughs) Not too many people do. (laughs) Here's another one. Let's chew it out the factory and see what happens when we could be praising Jesus. Instead, we sit in a hot, sweaty room with little memorabilia and crank away. She's just a personality that comes through that's just all yeah. dominant yeah. condescension. Was was Mike uh, Myers the first guy that you really felt that you bonded with? <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, if you are this kind of lone guy that Lauren is championing, saying get Dana more in the show, Al Franken, you say, is kind of understanding you. And then, you know, Mike comes along. Is he sort of somebody that you're like, oh, this guy understands a little bit what I'm going for? Yeah, I mean, I I felt, you know, a chemistry with him right away. Um, His stuff was cool. He he came in, I think, like my third year. Yeah. And some of the cast members were mean to him. You know why? Just why is this new guy? Now they have seventeen people. Oh, we're bringing another ten in this week. <laughs> See what you can do. So, which I don't blame Lauren. He's got this bullpen that's huge. Yeah. By the time you get on, you've been there four years. You know, <laughs> I actually, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got my social security check, Lauren. But I get a sketch because I, you know, it's just that old thing of like waiting. No, you're fine. You know, I'm, I'm Jan Act Live, but you know, it's just you know maybe I could you know do something so my mother would know that I'm actually you know here. 
just I guess he had chronic indigestion. That's where that rhythm came from. You know, just, he just chugged a Dr. Pepper. Just you know, um, I know I'm just dating myself. No, it's wonderful. Um, now you just have to say, and now I'm directing a film I'm not in, and then you make it very modern. Is that what he would do? Yeah, I guess. Oh, I mean, right. He hasn't yes, been yes, in the right. last couple. Yeah. Last I think, dozen. you know, something about, you know, when you're approaching, you know, four, you know, 80, you just, you know, you, the lens is not friendly. You know, it's just like you, you can only put so much gas on. Yeah. Woody he's, Allen he's is so afraid of death that I worry about him dying because of how afraid he's going to be. Isn't that crazy? He talks about mm-hmm. it so much in his work. Yeah. And he's very open about his fear of death. Yeah. And I'm like, he's old. You say he's in his 80s. And I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck. Shit, I know. You know I don't I mean? know if he's done this joke, but I I said it to my Brooklyn friend. He's he's very afraid of death. He's like a midlife crisis, sixty year old Brooklyn guy. You know, yeah. It's just you know with you know I'll be eighty in twenty one years. This kind of guy. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> well, we're all gonna die. I mean, where were you during the Renaissance? I mean, where were you? Yeah. What do you what do you what do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, where were you during the Renaissance? I was trying to tell him that's what death right, is. Right. So the next day he goes, you know, really flipped me out, and you told me, you know, I've already been dead, you know. Because where was I doing the Renaissance? <laughs> you know, we've all already been dead. We've all already been dead. I have been doing this you podcast all- for thousands of years, it seems, and no one's ever offered that we've already all- this salve. Yeah, it's amazing. We've what all a- already been dead. Yeah, and every if time is infinite, then eventually you and I will be here again. That the the atoms that construct this- us because oh, they won't because- be destroyed. They'll. They'll go into a star. Million. And then, uh, yeah, and then if time's eternal, it'll take a long time <laughs> right. for us to reformulate into this and have this happen. But right. technically, if time and space are infinite, we will be here again. If the possibilities yes. really are infinite, that's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, if it's infinite, that we will be, yeah. That's- I'll be just as electrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard Life, really? such a thing. What a mm-hmm. wonderful thing. So you we've not, already been dead. Not yeah. only did you just kind of alleviate a fear of death being like, that's already happened, that's fine. Yeah. But you've also just been like, and then also maybe this mystical possibility that your frame, your consciousness, though, is that gone? Hmm. These are really good questions. I think that's probably a human ego artifice, you know. It's your mind. I think so. Soul yeah. is mind. I don't really know. I'm still open to anything. Yeah. Why are we here, Pete? I don't know. Why are the, why the fuck are we here? <laughs> See, if you get anxious throughout life or when you go to your therapist, yeah. that always calms me down. Why? Well, because a lot of the anxiety is this, that, what, but why? Why are we even here? Why is there anything? You know? Well, that gives uh, transcendence to anything. You can say, why are we doing this podcast? Why am I having the podcast? with Dana? I would like it to be wonderful. So you can inject meaning with that question. The only thing that I felt that's visceral to me, I kind of use that word a lot, don't I? Heartfelt, is my connection to my kids. I think there's some kind of ancient wiring you know, that uh, is completely uh, the most nonsensical type of unconditional love that, or just, yeah, that that part feels divine divine to me. Yeah. That emotion. I don't know whether it's just chemicals in my brain, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I have to think, speaking of death, that there has to be, at, at least at the base level of that, a little bit of an understanding that your genetic memories are not literally memories, but right. your experience, your sensory experience has been passed on a little bit in the gray matter of their brains. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have a bit that maybe you can help me finish, but, uh, you know, I was reading about. <laughs> These are more theoretical. That meeting your original dad, that there's 60, there's about 60,000 dads of what we call humans between you and your original dad. 
about 60,000. So if you could go back in time, you could meet your original dad. The first guy. The Lu- first guy. Lucy's boyfriend. Because, yeah, because everybody's dad had a dad. It goes Mario. back to 60,000. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 60,000 was? 60,000 oh. generations ago was when they determined pretty much when they thought that modern man appeared on the savannah. Yeah. You seem lost. No, I'm not lost. That, that's <laughs> Lucy's boyfriend. Yeah, that's Ma- Lucy's boyfriend. Mario. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you could meet him. Yes. What, and that gives you... I don't know. Not, we don't know. Well, you just... What would you want to tell him? It's kind of like the, the old thing of what would you tell Pete, uh, you, your 16-year-old self or your 18-year-old self. Yeah. What would you want to tell him? I just... Lighten up, right? That's pretty much all of it. <laughs> Don't take That's it too seriously. One. That's good. Lighten up. Have we gone way over, or should I talk? Or no, it go, okay. goes yeah. until we're done. Okay. <laughs> I, it's, it's interesting. No, lighten up is a good one, and that actually takes us back to the beginning, which is what therapy has a lot to do with me. Is is lighten up? Like it's okay. You're right. You're not doing as badly as you think you're doing, and it'll be all right. Yes. That's what you say. It, the job that we have and that's chosen us is yeah to observe things so. You know, they say ignorance is bliss, the happy idiot, on and on and on. Hmm. So I guess we have to accept that there's going to be a certain price we pay. It's a Faustian deal. Just to be aware. Just to be aware. We're going to pay a price for being... Aware. Thinking. The price of consciousness. I do a bit about how a cat, this is just a throwaway, but how a cat doesn't know it's aging, doesn't know it's going to die. Right. A cat never says, I used to get by with 19 hours sleep, but if I don't get 22... I can't even. I'm running into walls, you know. They don't know. We have a cat that's extremely arthritic and but has no idea. Right. I'm a kitten, you know. It doesn't So it's a price we pay and we'll always be questioning it and we'll always be trying to figure it out. Right. Oh, it's just beautiful. Just let it go. <laughs> that's why we have substance abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Well, that's what Joseph Campbell says that drugs are a guaranteed experience when religion often fails people. You know, we're looking for some sort of transcendence. We're looking to right. get in touch with the idea that we are made of stars. Mm-hmm. But when you say that, mm-hmm. it's one of the least interesting, most interesting things in the world. It's like NASA. We're mm-hmm. going to the space and nobody gives a shit. You understand? Mm-hmm. Because we can't grasp it. When I mm-hmm. say you're made of stardust and your consciousness or your body at least mm-hmm. will be reformed if time is infinite, people's eyes glaze over because we can't totally. eat it or fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Just so, like yeah, just like a house. You can't eat it or fuck it or wear it. You know? <laughs> How important could it be? But you're right. If we could take ISIS and Al Qaeda and the Democrats and the Republicans and put them in a some kind of spaceship and they were out near Jupiter looking and seeing the Earth and the sun, then there'd be just peace. No one would go to war. That's but right. we can't imagine that perspective. Right. So good lord, Jeez Louise! Well, that's that's that great. Uh, you do a Deepak Chopra uh, impression. He always says uh, he says. Uh, Where did I do that? That you would have. It's seen on it. your Wikipedia page. That's, I that's do uh, him. This is talking about bass bits. I do him. Yeah. How spiritual people would always have a sexual side. You know their lizard side. Yeah, sure. You know, and Deepak Chopra <laughs> with uh, kind of Tourette's sexual Tourette's. The, the the planet God is good and life is good, and spank me with a spoon, you bitch! I was hoping <laughs> that everywhere. <laughs> Next time, all well the panties, I know <laughs> that. So, you're a great audience. Next time, oh, yeah. I'll wear the all panties. wear the. 
They call them, let's see, what else did I have in there? Yeah, <laughs> next time I'll wear the bandits. It was always, it's the specificity of those kinds of things. Next time. Next time I'll wear the bandits <laughs> because love is consciousness and God is good. <laughs> they call my penis Mr. Tibbs. I believe it was all a series of crazy abstractions. Maybe I should do that more often. It, well, it's funny to me because I'm on that board. I'm on board with that. Have you done that for old Mikey Myers? He loves DB Chopes. I know. I, that, yeah, well, Mike and I had a great, great run with that Wayne's World thing. Are you sure? <laughs> you just deflected that question. <laughs> no, I, well, yeah, the movie wasn't, you know, I'm sure he, he didn't, oh, I didn't Oh, I didn't yeah. mean that. Yeah, I didn't but he mean did a the good lo- Deepak Chopra. I didn't mean the love guru. I yeah. wasn't trying to drag anybody through the mud because yeah. I know that didn't do well. Mm-hmm. I meant his episode of Iconoclast. It was him and Deepak Chopra. Yes. Yes, That's and right. you know it's nice certitude. Uh, do they really have it? It's a comforting thing that Deepak Chopra never spiritual leaders. They never say, I, you know, I'm stumped. I don't know. It's like, well, why are we here? Because love and consciousness. And the, are you sure? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> well, that's very nice. This is what it is. And certitude sells. Certitude sells. You it have, sure does. Yeah. You have to say, this is it. This is what it is. It gets you your own TV show, going back to my set. You walk out like you're like, God is consciousness. God is consciousness. Guess what? Of course. There's a new sheriff in town. I mean, I think with Hans and Franz, <laughs> that's what we would say. So, so you know, look out for the new sheriff. <laughs> they took him away at midnight, but he's coming back. <laughs> the podcast is blowing up. So long, Conan, make way. You know, it has nothing to do with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It just became this sort of winged creature, this sadistic winged. Yes. You know. So what is the meaning of life? What do you think? Hmm. Does, is there anything to be said for you mm. receiving certain gifts and then employing them? Is that, is that good or is that irrelevant? Um, I would say in general, the meaning of life is how much bravery can you uh, exhibit um, in terms of being experiential? How, much, how many experiences can you, can you allow yourself to have? Now, becoming a stand-up comedian is, is a big old... Yeah, yeah, very brave. But we're all here. The, it's the quest to feel alive, mm-hmm. you know? Um, a good shower, uh, sex. White uh, t-shirt. For me, working out, wet t-shirt, <laughs> um, creativity. I guess it's like how much experiences can you gobble up? And, and I, to me, the whole idea is to get out of your head and, and just experience. Now, this is more like, a, you know, delving down the other way. Although we did do some pudding in the vertebrae. But yeah, for me, I want to be out of my, not conscious. And, and when stand-up is the best is when you don't have that critical voice over here. I missed that line. Mm-hmm. I better pick it up. I'm losing them. When that voice goes away, where it's pure experience, I think that would be the quest for existence. The flow. Experience. Be a little bit more like your cat. Yeah, yeah. Just experience all you can. Get out of your own head. Yeah. When everything is screaming at you to get in your own head. Well, it's funny. That's that's what I've been talking about lately. I, I go on these little things and theories is the idea that my mom talks about the devil wanting to pull you away from God. And I talk about my mind wanting to pull me out of the moment. And I think those are the same things. I yes. think one is the mythologizing of the same sort of problem. You're talking about being on stage, which should be beautiful. Or for those of you uh, listening that don't perform, if you've had sex, you can have sex where you're thinking. And that's also bad. But you can also slip into a transcendent place where we call these peak right. experiences, where for some reason or another, 
air stands still, air is always standing still, but everything feels very impactful. And that, we feel, is somewhat divine. And, and that's what you're saying. Yeah, and what makes you personally feel alive? When do you feel most, not intellectual, but just alive? Yeah. That's a great question. I love the ocean. I know that's such a cliche. I feel like a Playboy centerfold. But I do. I do. <laughs> the seas are so sad. <laughs> no, no. That's all right. What do you love but about it? Do you want to get in it or just look at it? I get in it. Because it's time. In a wetsuit or just? Well, in the, wet, in the winter, I'll wear a wetsuit. Okay. Yeah, so you surf. I do surf. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. That people I talk about uh, or talk to surf. That's a. Because it's timeless. Yeah. Nobody. You might wear a watch, like a Tide watch. I don't wear a watch, yeah, but you're right. out there and you really, really lose track of time. Yeah. And there's something about that that I really enjoy. I find it with, with incredibly hard cardiovascular energy. Is that true? Uh, like exercise? Hi- running or hiking. Yeah. I find it with music or recording music. Mm. Where that, that was seven hours. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that is, our, that, that is the quest. To get in outside of your brain more and More into- and more of that just pure experience because – if you're around a toddler, a one, two, three-year-old, they're just four-year-old. They're there. That's where they are. That's right. It's like, you know, everything. Right, 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 right. And then we get all this stuff. I so realize we're just that we, trying to get back as we, much as we can before we go back to where we were during the Renaissance. That's right. Ah, unless you're recycled. <laughs> if you're afraid of being recycled, it's, it kind of sounds like Schwarzenegger. If you're afraid, oh, I thought you were doing. I it. was. Let me tell you something. Is is Arnold you, Deepak? Everyone should have a. Here's the thing that comedians ha- need Jesus to have: a Jesus bit, yep, a Lincoln bit, and a Hitler bit. Now, do you have three? Do you have a Jesus? <laughs> I have a Jesus. Lincoln and a Hitler. Give me I, your three. Give me your three. Jesus, bits? Jesus bit, Lincoln bit. You're gonna like the Jesus bit. Okay, Are okay. You ready? And I have one too. I have a I want to hear it. I want to hear yours though. My Jesus bit. Here's which your Jesus it's already bit. been recorded. But okay. I can't stop laughing at the idea of dying and getting to heaven and Jesus is tone deaf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the pearly gates open and there he is on a golden <laughs> sheep in all his splendor and he's just like, Hosanna! He's the king of kings, can't carry a tune. You want to tell the Prince of Peace he needs to work on his like pitch? That. That's it. That's my, that's my Jesus bit. <laughs> Mine was <laughs> not as funny as that, but mine was what if, how much wine did he actually drink? Did he ever cover his goblet and say, I'm good, I'm good? Is it possible that he was a highly functioning alcoholic where Luke would say to Matthew, he healed the, he healed the leper, but he was lit. <laughs> we can't send him to rehab. He can turn water into wine. Jesus. Um, let's see. What was the final one? Um, Lincoln, right? Oh, Lincoln was, there's no more heroes. That's done. Because of the web, there's no more heroes. Yep. Barack Obama had no chance. I was just thinking that today. And if it had been around earlier, if there was a grainy YouTube video of Abraham Lincoln on his knees furiously masturbating, he would not have a memorial that big. He might... <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's Lincoln. See the hat? Look at him go at it. Well, he's still emancipated, but I, I don't know about a whole giant because look what he's doing. So no more heroes. He just emancipated the contents of his balls. And, <laughs> and every dictator had a charming side. That's how they got power. Yeah. So it's just Hitler. Himmler, I'm telling you, those genes are fabulous. Goebbels, never change your haircut. Sorry. Those are my three. You have to have three. Do you have a Hitler? I don't have a Hitler. Do you have a Lincoln? I have a bit that involves Lincoln. Here it is. I think it's weird that you can travel back in time and people would know classical music. (laughs) (laughs) So you can meet Abraham Lincoln. I like any time travel. Yeah, it's a good one. You can meet Abraham Lincoln in a horse-drawn buggy. That's a long time ago. Right. 
And if you went, dun, 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 he'd be like, that's my shit. That's the bit. I like that. <laughs> and I guess I could say I have a Hitler bit because I used to have a bit where I say, everyone has had diarrhea. Everyone. Right. And Hitler. Hitler had yeah. diarrhea. Right. Martin Luther King Jr. had diarrhea. It doesn't right. matter. It actually goes back to something I heard Robin Williams say. It was like, we, sure. we build uh, space shuttles and we cure polio, but we also, you know, we fart and all that sort of stuff. And that's one of the roles of comedy is to keep us... Right inside of our animals and that's being like, funny the Dalai Lama I was yeah. just talking to my therapist today was like the Dalai Lama just gave this talk where he was like I get gassy on airplanes and the reason he tells us that is to be like don't think I'm something else I'm also trapped in here I'm also a person just like you right. and something about the altitude on planes makes the Dalai Lama which wow. reincarnation of the Dalai Lama is this we're not sure but this one gets gassy on airplanes yes. and everybody's dying with laughter right. why? because that's true of course, and we're saying something that we that you're not used to hearing. Yeah, the oh. the, the the gold lame and all the different robes, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. I mean, any, who couldn't be Zen on a mountaintop? You know, well, in Mark a, in, Marin in a monastery. Mark <laughs> Marin. Okay, yeah. I, I'm actually doing his podcast. Four thirty. You know. <laughs> I feel like I haven't done enough funny stuff for you. Here, I'll do it. I'll do whatever that's, you want. That's you can make silly. this a two-parter. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Um, Better Kanye West. Uh, these are just concepts. Like, I don't know if it's true, but I was watching Kanye West or some rappers with my son, and I go, I don't know if this is true. I'm not saying it's true. Yeah. But I think I could be better than him. And not... <laughs> I think it give me a year with some beats in a room. I'm not saying that's true, but the idea that I think it's true is amazing because no one saw Led Zeppelin and said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one week, one week. But with that, and that is the problem with this generation, yes. they'll see and they'll go, I think I could do that. And they pro- they might get a little bit close. Yes. They've got some talent for sure. Oh, that was a good one to pick no, out. <laughs> you like evolution, religion, things like that, right? Yeah, sure. That's the kind of stuff you like. I do. Um, mm-hmm. do you, I can ask you a random mm-hmm. question on the thing. Okay. When you did one of the boys, was Nathan Lane nervous? <laughs> About what? <laughs> I don't know. You guys were young and doing a TV show. Was he nervous? With Mickey Rooney, the craziest yeah. man ever. Yeah. yeah, he was excitable and nervous. And, you know, he was always, we'd, he'd go to a restaurant bar and he'd be singing, you know, Mammy, don't you know why my thing is how? I mean, he was just great even then, but. Here's the funny part, and I've talked about this before, so it's okay, but... You can say anything. When I hung out with, with Nathan, or I liked immediately, he got cast. So I'm Mickey Rooney's grandson. We're doing a sitcom in New York. And um, I wasn't... I was just observing. There was a woman walked by. It was gorgeous. And I was saying to Nathan, what, God, what was it like to be gay? I mean, it means you like what you already have. I was just musing about it, and I yeah. said... If you're gay, you're on a desert island. This was 1980 with Dom DeLuise and Raquel Welch. And you run down to the beach and say, Raquel, have you seen Dom? <laughs> and his face turned bright red. And he goes, I'm a big fruit. You know, he was like, and so we became friends after that. <laughs> uh, the first gay friend I have where we just you really talked that? all about it. Yeah. And Nathan, uh, Mickey Rooney thought I was gay. Yeah. So he would routinely, or at least occasionally, put his arm around uh, Nathan, look at me and go, I'm just glad I like girls. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so, yeah. But, uh, Nathan, yeah, smart, funny. Here's another talented. one for you. Yes. Where did, uh, where did wife and children come into all of this? It um, seems like such a strange thing to wedge into this strange life. I know. Well, my wife and I, it, it was so, it was innocence, just all innocence. Where did you She meet? saw me in the comedy club, the Haight-Ashbury, in 1979. 
her second she was a fan of mine i had a catchphrase what do you do you work you go to school or what <laughs> it was a singles guy oh well the way i look at it you were behind bars and i hang out at bars so hey tiny world so, <laughs> you like that bit That's you like good. that bit yeah it's uh it reminds me uh, of steve martin oh and i love steve martin yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it's a steve martin sort of right excuse like, me hey yeah. Small world. Right, yeah. You know, so she of. had a T-shirt made yeah. with all that. and then uh, She so, had a shirt that said that? Yeah. Okay, But she'd go. only been to that club a couple times that Dana, summer. marry this woman. I wasn't, you, you know, <laughs> I wasn't good being single. It was the whole breaking the heart part of the whole thing. You, you know? get close fast? Um, yeah, it didn't, just would take me a year to try to break up with someone. And oh, I, more, I, that yeah. problem. So you knew you didn't like them, but you, you couldn't hurt them. Yeah, and in the club scene, it was just, I realized I was always there for a different reason, you know, than the woman was you after the show. And Well, yeah, and uh, not, and then get away as quickly as possible and never call. <laughs> and I wasn't good at that. Yeah. You know, I wasn't good at that. Yeah. So, um, but is that something that you wanted to act out because you felt like you never had access to that, and then all of a sudden you were popular? A little bit, yeah. It was a, it's, it was kind of a, amazing the amount of attention you would get when yeah. you get a pretty good stand-up act together. Yeah. You know, so that kind of turned my head. But my wife's gorgeous, and yeah. we kind of she makes the shirt, and then you ask her out. We sort of, yeah, yeah. And then we just sort of, we were already talking about marriage within five weeks. Really? Yeah. Clicked. But, Clicked right away. Great sense of humor. What's your name? Beautiful. Paula. Good name. And uh, we've, I always say I've, we've had five different marriages in 32 years, you know, because yeah. you, have, you have years where it's just not really happening, and then we're thick as thieves now. That's great. great. And what, um, I love having a companion. I love watching Mad Men. I, I like watching TV. I've seen every episode of Mad Men. Yeah. Five times. Really? It's oh, true. yeah. 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 Absolute genius. I yeah. love that show more than anything. Yeah. Um, well, that's not true. I, I love that show. Well, you know, my email address starts with Mad Men. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, we talked about that when you gave me your email yeah. address. That's yeah. right. I forgot that we, that we talked about that. I love that <laughs> I show. I trump you. I like it more than uh, you. Hence, I'm better. You, my my <laughs> email is dickwhitman at dondraper.net. Seriously? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's great. It's one of the biggest regrets of my life. John Hamm did this show. I've said this many times, but I can't stop kicking myself. I kept asking him about the show, and he goes, you realize I'm not Don Draper, and I just wish I had said I know you're Dick Whitman. I just... It would have been the best moment. I have regrets. Of my life. I have regrets like joke that. regrets. Yeah, yeah. If things comebacks. I should have said. Yeah. Why didn't I say this? I should have said that. Ugh. But I ran into him last month, and he did. Mention, Johnny, he, Johnny he didn't mention that. <laughs> I, he thought he, the natural thing was Dick Whitman, but he just looked at me, and I waited and waited and waited, and I go, "I'm sure he's a great comic. He probably feels bad about that." You know. Well, I know he listens. Yeah. He doesn't Another listen. Scotch on the rocks. <laughs> But uh, with a huge orange slice because it's four o'clock in the sixties. How shows like that exist and how they happen are still amazing to me. You mean that they slip through the cracks? Well, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, these cable shows—they're so brilliant. Uh, the Walking Dead, how yeah. it all happens, yeah, is amazing to me. You mean because only shit should get made? Is that well? What you're do you, how much do you watch network? Shows? No, I am agreeing with yeah. you. Yeah, I, I think I hear what yeah. you're saying, and so much shit. But just Mad Men in general, just to make a show. Uh, where the narrative is that subtle and the aesthetic oh, yeah. is so powerful yeah. that, again, that's visceral. It's almost yeah. like you're just watching the colors in the, yep. and then there's the story. Every episode's like a short and story. And it hits you. Yeah. And mm. everything is happening inside. Yeah. That's, it's, it's like Madame Bovary. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's not people getting shot. It's Don going for a swim and you're like, He's thinking about Sally. Yeah, he's, you know what I mean. Like, he's so buttoned down, and the 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 season where he just went to L.A. and then he went to Palm Springs. It's yeah. like 
oh, okay, yeah. this show just does whatever it wants. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it's also, I like shows and movies about people having an outward appearance. Donnie mm-hmm. Drapes, hair impeccable, shirts in the drawer. Yeah. But then when he does a, a monologue, I, I believe it's season four, where he goes for that swim, and, and when he's uh, journaling, his, mm-hmm. he and his wife are gone, he's yeah. in his sad bachelor phase. And he says, what I really want is any semblance of control over how I feel. And you're just like, Donnie? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because he always seems like, that's a terrible uh, Trisket campaign. Get yes. the fuck out of my office. Right. But really, he's, he's the Dalai Lama farting on a plane. He's everybody. He's also feeling pain and yep. disillusionment yeah. and anxiety. Yeah. And more than you think he is, but he looks great in a suit. And just great, you know, his rhythm and attitude with that, you know. Hey, Don, could I get a ride to the airport? You don't even know me. <laughs> Sorry. My, my Johnny Ham or my Johnny You have Ripper, one? It's, what do you want to hear? That's what he always says. What do you want to hear? Because he wants to know what you want to hear because right. he knows you're not really engaging with him. Right. So someone says, I want, she broke the punch bowl. What do you want to hear? We're going to get a new punch bowl? How do I make this over? Right. Because your yeah. humanity sickens me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the first season when they did the carousel episodes, when you got chills, yeah. you went, oh, wow, okay, this is going to. Yep. It's going to be something special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Such a great show. Can't we get on a show like that? Isn't mm. there, you have a, well, you mm. have a modern look. I'd cast you in science fiction before I'd put you in the past. Oh, no, no, no. You're the guy I, that fixes my radio for three wet wipes. <laughs> three wet wipes and a chicken bone. I have a new character that I, I did a short film with, but his name is Sir Charles Wyndham, and he's very much like this. And he's sort of uh, like a Claude Rains type character. And yeah. I slick my hair back and paint on a mustache. And so I aspire. <laughs> you can go back. You can go back. I just aspire. It's inspiring. Not that I would ever do anything like Mad Men or Breaking Bad. Yeah. But just. Something they're capturing. There has to be a way to do it. A tone. Comedically as well. Absolutely. You know? There's something, you touched on something very interesting with Mad Men is that you could watch it not knowing what's going on and still enjoy it. And I think there's something really special about that. Do you want to hear something meditative that I've learned from the show Mad Men? Yes. I believe you do. Uh, <laughs> I like to think that the fascination, fascination that we can watch things that are being recreated like Mad Men, mm-hmm. or if you want to go to Pride and Prejudice, whatever era speaks to you, right. you're like, oh my God, in the 60s, they sat in bars and black men in white tuxedos <laughs> brought you like an appetizer. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the pilot. That, yeah, liter- that yeah. literally happened in the pilot. And you're like, oh, look at yeah. what the way the women dress and look at the way the men dress and look at mm-hmm. how people talked. And it's fascinating. We should have that sort of fascination with right now going, this is exactly what Dana Carvey looks like in 2014. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? On right. a Wednesday yes. after therapy. Mm-hmm. This is the ridiculous shirt that I'm wearing. You know yeah. what I mean? Katie's yeah. computer. The way technology changes, we do have nostalgia for 2012, mm-hmm. back when the MacBook was 13 sure. and a little bit thicker. But mm-hmm. if we can employ that same sort of like, this is what Arrowhead Water looked like in 2014. Mm-hmm. We can ha- we can get into a little bit more of a meditative state, just driving around, just stuck in traffic, going. That's such a 2014 bumper sticker. Yes, you know what I mean. This is what people describe when they take psilocybin. Basically, that's right. And even afterwards, they realize that everything is all you know. That's right. Funny. Everything's beautiful. Everything's interconnected. That's right. But you know how do sober people like if we made it our goal to bring in some really cool uh, HD cameras and create that here. Just recording this. Right. First, it's noticing it. But yeah, there's plenty of art all around us. That's right. The pattern. One of the tricks I do is look for 
Well, patterned reflections mm-hmm. too. Yeah. If you start trying to bring your awareness to how many reflections are in the room, mm-hmm. like you'll start to freak yourself out. And it really is a mushroomy sort of experience. Yeah. And ever, I've taken uh, mushrooms five or six times, and I've always been trying mm-hmm. to uh, employ some of that fascination in in sobriety. You know what I mean? Right. So it doesn't have to be contingent, and I don't think it has to be. We talk about being Zen in the mountaintops. Mm-hmm. I think those people are closer to feeling like they're tripping out than we are. Definitely. I used to think they like deprivation, silence, but yeah. yeah, they're getting buzz. They're, they're getting, getting the buzz. High. They're yeah. getting themselves high on on truth and mm-hmm. oneness with the universe. I wrote a, a, a sketch or thought of a sketch on mushrooms that I did on Saturday Night Live, and Conan said it was his favorite sketch. What's that? Well, we went to the LA County Art Museum. And we saw some Rembrandt's portraits of rich Dutch aristocrats. And I thought, wow. Wait, you were on mushrooms at the museum? Yeah. I go, wow. <laughs> Whoever painted this of that dude hated that dude because he's making him look like a dick for eternity. So it was, it was as if the guy being painted was saying, sketch me if you can. I dance away. <laughs> so it was this idea on mushrooms. It was like a di- idea of an, a, a rich guy having an artisan come in, but not standing still. <laughs> if you don't sketch me, I shall shoot you. So it's on SNL. You can look it up. Sketch me if you can. I dance away. And then Phil Hartman's trying to, and love is sketch, sketch, sketch. And then it's not good enough because I won't sit still. And that all came from that, from the picture. That, there is something very profound, those portraits staring off Yeah. in you know uh, fine art, those old Rembrandts and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's super real. And to have that ruined. Yeah. But I don't need to do mushrooms again. Why is that? Uh, I feel like I got all I needed out of it. Was it that one time? The other time. It was only two times. We went went in and saw the spruce goose. And so when we came in peeking on mushrooms, we looked up and saw the spruce goose. And we laughed for, I don't know, three hours. It was just the biggest, stupidest thing we'd ever seen in our lives. And I still remember how funny it was. Like, why would he build a... Plane so big, it just seemed hysterical. Yes, yeah. but when you can hold on to some of that, mm-hmm. like I'm saying, in, like I was changing lanes today uh, on my drive here. I was on the 101, and uh, I, I didn't see the car next to me, and it was one of those tall vans. Yeah, Mercedes makes these tall vans. It's a van, right? right. And then it's almost a double decker van, but it's just one van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're funny. It made like, me laugh. Just make it two. Yes, two. It stories. should have been two yeah. stories. Yeah. But the adrenaline of almost crashing into it, and then just being in the moment, like it snapped me into the moment, which I think is another mm-hmm. thing that the, that drug will do. And I laughed really hard just at a van, which I think when you see the spruce moose, spruce goose, spruce goose, I say it wrong every time. Spruce goose, you should laugh because it yes. is preposterous, right? And when, and when we see a tall van, you should laugh as well. Well, I did a gig at uh, Reno on Saturday night and um, at the Atlantis Hotel. You know, why a lost forbidden city underwater here at the Atlantis? Nice crowd, actually. Sunday after Thanksgiving, well, I'll just drive it straight down. I was with my assistant, who's Irish. And my son, Tom, who had opened, and he did great. And... Uh, it took us 13 hours, and we had nine hours of stop and go, and I saw all the red lights, mm. and it was kind of mushroomy. Mm-hmm. And then the other side, and I, I figured out there were millions of cars trying to get up and down that 200-mile stretch of the five. If you take 200 miles times mm. eight feet times mm. millions of us trying to get back, and it did seem sort of – but I'm still exhausted from it. I'm literally still feeling the effects of, course. of that. And of we drove course. up, too. So it was like 25-hour drive, 75-minute on stage, and then – oh. 
Why? Who? Why? I don't know. I, I, why are these I, people going to I'm, Reno? I'm just flying to. I flew too much. I, I developed a horrible phobia of it. I flew 1,200 times. Yeah, now I just don't like it at all. Really? Yeah. So I'm kind of staying on terra firma right now. For you think you think the lady is going to come down? Oh, 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 yeah. Well, I've had I've had um, engines conk out. I've had aborted takeoffs. I've you know I've had it all. You know, really. I've had private jet flights where the pilots say we really shouldn't be up here tonight. You know. And I'm in the back, you know. I mean, I just been traumatized, you know, by it all. You know? Whoa! Yeah. What was that? Huh? Who was with you? Um, lo- often I was alone at night coming over the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Airport closures. Um, um, you know, the the front wheels up and then bring it down. Computer, you know. Yeah, I had it all. But I think that's from the so many hundreds and hundreds of flights. So I felt occasionally a corporation would get me a private jet. So I'd have a bucket of Heineken's beneath, uh, right between my legs, yeah, yeah. and just and I would. It was a joke I'd do with my assistant at the time. I'd be like this, and then the plane would go up and it would make. <laughs> I got better about that. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. better about that because I just you know we didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, how is it good? Well, now we're back to. Um, you did say, I, punchy. There's so many ways I could have taken taken what you just said do you mean you don't drink anymore well no i just don't i don't uh, i i i i don't drink before i get on the plane uh-huh i take off generally i don't drink yeah. and then when we get up the first 15 minutes we you know if you're flying if you're lucky enough to be in the pointy part of the aeroplane <laughs> you can get an ice cold beer and that's how i do it yeah a couple of those and i'm like then i feel like i'm sort of okay we're gonna make it yeah. You have no fear. You're like, Mr. Pilot going to no, make it all safe. No, 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 <laughs> You're like a little kid with a comic book and some gum. Let's fly. No, I'm sure <laughs> you think too much. You must notice everything. I do, yeah. No, I've, mm-hmm. I had some scary flights in my back in my day as well. You just made me remember that when I first did mm-hmm. stand-up, I said, not going to do it. And... Like, because I didn't know what to do. Oh, funny. You know what I'm I mean? glad you did. Well, and it got a laugh, but then I immediately felt really bad that I had stolen. You know, if I could... They, no, knew, I, they knew I had... St- it's not stolen. It's stolen yeah. if they didn't know. He's doing right. George Bush. You no. know what I mean? Like, they th- they knew I was doing you, but you just gave me a flashback. I think if, I, if anything is relevatory from this interview, I think that a lot of the stuff I'm doing, and I'm not currently in therapy, is just trying to comfort myself. Hmm. Because George Bush, and this isn't a bit, but it became a monosyllabic robot who would categorize things in a way that's calming. Like for you and I to get out of our own head, like I'm talking to Pete Holmes. I'm on his podcast. Mm-hmm. wonder how this is going, you know? Mm-hmm. But Bush would be like, here, comedy, mel- nerd melt, comedy, Pete, podcast, doing it, dog, friendly, microphones, headset, going to the end. <laughs> And that is calming to me. It is. Because it, it just, just takes life and goes, yeah. therapy, Dana Garney, <laughs> questions, wanting to get through them, want to be up, not too up, want to be inquisitive, not too much, make space, get in, don't let her leg, I mean, fuck, this is hard, you know, <laughs> keep it real, funny, relaxed, informative, ask the questions nobody else has asked, keep him up. Tired, don't know, done 300, maybe need a break. <laughs> Thinking back, therapist, talk to her about this. 
Kaczynski set be in the moment, not quite there. So it's comforting. You can use that if you want. It really, really comforts it did, me. It just helped me. It did, did you talk to your therapist about doing this podcast today with me? That sounds kind of egocentric. I didn't, uh, but it, I did at the... What did you talk about? We talked about, well, the th- the holidays. I just got back from Thanksgiving. But it was it was generally just about getting out of your own head and being happier. It was about uh, surrender today. I realized that I was carrying a lot of uh, strange emotions about my family, um, and mm. I, I'm always uh, deconstructing. And today, mm-hmm. I, I've been feeling heavy for the past couple of weeks, and I was like, what is it? What is it? What? I'm always trying to figure out how I feel and why, mm-hmm. and I was like, I feel heavy. Why? Even now, as I'm talking to you, I'm just kind of like, I just feel like I'm wearing that, that coat they yeah. give you at the dentist. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit. Right. And I'm like, why, 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 why? And I was like, I think it's because I feel uh, different feelings of responsibility for my family. <laughs> well, okay, let's, let's get the coffee and start. <laughs> start now? That... Hit record. Hey, listen. <laughs> go on. I mean, oh man, I could talk to you about that forever. No, go ahead. Because we were very, very close. Father... Still alive, really, really brutal. Yeah. Um, Wait, who? You and your dad were close. No, no, close with my sister yes. and my three brothers. Yes. We still talk almost daily. Really? Yeah. Holy shit. Um, we went through a really rough time together. You know, um, with your dad. Your dad mm-hmm. made it a rough time. Yeah. And so we were bonded with that, and have talked about it for for the decades, and it's kind of calmed down now. But you know, I looked up to my brothers; they're really talented. So when I became famous. Mm-hmm. they became Dana Carvey's brother. And I felt horrible. Maybe a therapist would say part of the reason I sort of left L.A. and tamped down my career was this misguided sense of mm-hmm. like, wow, not only I'm affecting them. Like the brother I was closest to, we shared the bunk beds. And, you know, you talk, he'd talk at night. You never knew when it was the last time. So, you know, yeah, are we done talking? And then yeah. you remember when, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, that kind of brother. Yeah. And he has a regular job. He's a super great musician. Wanted to have a shitbox brain dead job, so he does. And he had a guy at work come up and go, uh, I just found out that Dana Carvey's brother works here. You know? So I felt a lot of responsibility. He said that to him. To him. So Scott made a joke out of it. He goes, I'm, my name's Scott Carvey. My other name is Dana Carvey's brother. <laughs> but I have relatives, and I tried to just just douse it with money you know yeah. checks just passing out i still support and give money and just yeah, 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 all yeah. just but that does that work um it never worked <laughs> <laughs> anyone i gave money to only got more broke yeah it never worked but i did write a lot of checks i still do yeah i don't i'm not a materialist i don't know why i'm probably as shallow as anyone i have no idea i have a honda pilot i shop at banana republic i don't know mm-hmm. really why i just never like shiny trinkets mm-hmm. except instruments but what is your thing about do you feel responsible or are you the most successful well or yeah i, I feel guilty it, it has a Something to I had do. all these feelings, by the way. Yeah, if it helps you. And I'm not 1993 Dana Carvey. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, but you're, you're, you're you're a magic person. You're in showbiz. You've been on TV. It's not normal. It's not. It, normal. You're creative. You write jokes, and you, people yeah. fall down. You're yeah. headlining. They must see you a 500 seat club. Yeah, and it's just yeah, Pete Holmes. Right. Uh, it how, is. Yeah, it's weird. And I think what it was was the responsibility. So you're looking at the whole situation and wondering how you can be some sort of savior to everything. Mm-hmm. And I just this morning woke up and wow. uh, did a little meditating on it. Uh, I do say that with pride. I'm proud that I woke up and managed to sit down. I have and a face mantra. It. Do you? What mm-hmm. is it? I'm just kidding. No, no. They oh, they told us not to tell. I know that's my no, joke. Yeah. 
Well, it's TM then. It's TM. Yeah. I- Aying. Aying? Mm-hmm. That's your mantra? mantra? Yeah. You just told us? Yeah, but I, I didn't believe that that I didn't believe that part of it. I do think it really works. Yeah. But they said if you tell people it won't work and we we all went in together in college. Yeah. And we had the thing and then uh, what's yours? Ayong or mine's Aying. They're almost yeah. the same. So. Yeah. It's supposed to be based on your birthday. I've I've been told. I think that's how they figured They it out. can anyone could use it. It does work. Yeah. And yeah. to tell people tweet me all the time they're like how do we get into it? There's Dana Carvey's mantra, you can use it. Ying. And you just repeat it to yourself. And the main thing, kind of a theme of what we've been talking about, is getting out of your own way. Don't. There's no judgment. That's, if you if you're not meditating well, you, who gives a shit? Yeah. You just keep coming back to Aying. Yeah. I used to put on tubular bells by Mike Oldfield, and I'd have some sort of almost. I would forty five minutes in start to feel a rocking sensation, like my body was up, mm-hmm. elevated, and yeah, you can go way way. Really, it doesn't have to be just fifteen minutes. Oh, I no, I don't. I never wanted to do it for fifteen minutes. I did so, it for an hour and a half. What did you? Jesus. So you yeah, but really, I did this did... thing called EFT. Mm. So I have this pain in my shoulder, right? EFT is just a tapping technique. Mm-hmm. So you start where you go like, even though I have this pain in my shoulder, I deeply mm-hmm. and completely accept myself. Mm-hmm. And then you tap these different spots right. while you're yeah. focusing mm-hmm. on that pain. And then after you do two sections of that, it takes about 90 seconds. You realize that you're like, it might have some sort of emotional connection to mm-hmm. it. And this is what I did. I said, even though I feel responsible mm-hmm. like i'm carrying my family sometimes mm-hmm. my family are all you know self-sufficient people yeah. but i still feel that sure yeah i deeply and completely accept myself get deeper and deeper even though i feel guilty that and mm-hmm. this, this is a strange thing to say but you're like i feel like my life is so good and i don't mean cadillacs and hand jobs on, oh no on no limbs. no you're a magic person i just mean being you're making magic m- you're making a living in the arts that's right just that and alone is magic right and it feels magic Oh, it is. I, that was my goal from the beginning for any of you kids listening. Could I make the same amount of, I did as a waiter? Because I was still waitering way, way into mm-hmm. until I was 24 in stand-up. Mm-hmm. But I do think what happens is you go through later in life because you, you, it's just organic that you will let go mm-hmm. as you get older. Because I'm 59 looking down at you. And when you have real suffering, some of which I could share with you and not. But you know I had the botch bypass. That's in my... You know, I resume. Know that, no. Yeah. So when you have real suffering, that a bad heart surgery. Yeah, yeah. But my there's nothing wrong with my heart. I could run ten miles. But I I did have familial hypercholesteremia. My cholesterol was four hundred naturally, three hundred LDL. All throughout my thirties, the technology and science was not really existing. So, and then so I had an angioplasty, lower anterior descending with the diagonal, and um, I would restenose organically. I would build scar tissue in there, which most of the people did this. A lot of information. No, These it. are the bare metal stents, not the drug-eluting stents that they invented later. Mm-hmm. And so I kept restenosing. So they said, we can do a simple double bypass. So I had one, but he missed the LAD. I had to sue him because he wouldn't admit to it because I thought he was going to hurt someone else, which he ended up hurting other people. Oh, boy. Um, and settled, you know, settled out of court, still giving the money away. Mm-hmm. Built a city in Tanzania, basically. Mm. But... You know, when they're wheeling you in there, and I was 42, and it came just out of nowhere. From running, I'd get the angina. This was six months later. This was decided. I had a, I was going to come to Cedars-Sinai, but I stayed up there. I heard the doctor was the best in the world. But he'd been slipping and been in court, and he was 68 years of old. You know, anyway, it all happened. But when you have real suffering, you know, I was actually doing a bit the other night about comedians trying to look for pain when there isn't any. Like, Abba's new album sucks! And they're just like <laughs> screaming. I go, oh, no real suffering. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And when you have children, you can, you can enter real suffering. Right. Uh, when you have health issues, you enter real suffering. And which is, it, it would make perfect 
kind of cosmic sense that you would get the opposite, which is some peace, contentment, and joy. So hmm. something to look forward to, <laughs> you know, is real suffering was what, what will give you the perspective. Interesting. You know, oh, my God. You know. As, and would, uh, are you saying that real problems would help me put down these fake ones? <laughs> uh, not, I, I don't think it's that quite that simple, but um, you will get some rewiring in there somehow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe you have had, but people have had health scares or, or family problems or stuff that's really, really, really dark. Yeah. Um, I have a good friend who, who uh, is um, has cancer and, uh, you know, we don't know how much longer. And uh, he's just like, he's all about experiences. Just kind of full circle what we were talking about. That's mm-hmm. all he talks about. And he just, let's just laugh. And let's just, and I'll talk about regrets. Like I ran a marathon in, in a, during a heat wave. It was stupid. I ran three hours, but I could have ran. He goes, it doesn't matter. You know, it's just because right. you experience that. Right. And so he's really fun to hang out with. He has this truth that you can't intellectualize. That's right. Because we all have an expiration date, but he knows a general sense of it. We can, you know. And he feels it. Yeah, and so you can get perspectives, just like you get a perspective on America by talking to first-generation immigrants. Mm -hmm. And when you're out on the road, I'm constantly talking, and I'm getting a perspective Mm -hmm. on what is America, Mm. what's going on here, who are we? And you learn that way, and so being around people like that and you know but i'm you're probably way more evolved than i am i don't know i'm not <laughs> depressed like anyone else some of the time i think that i think that happiness or contentment is somewhat like a thermostat not an original concept but i think that it's I there's that. a range because i found that when i was um sort of at my top the saturday night live i couldn't get much you know because anthony hopkins who i did a movie with said the year before Science with the Lambs, he goes, oh, what would it be like to be in a big hit movie? And then he did it, and it happened, and he got the Oscar, and he looked at the marquee, Anthony Hopkins, Silence of the Lambs, and he said he felt nothing, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that's another sort of way to experience, you know? What was your happiness when you got the show, and it was happening, and then when they said the show's not happening? Well, this was part of my therapy, too, was I was like, so I, I'm hoping to make a pilot, and it's out. The script is out, and I'm waiting to hear on that. And I was like, well, it's, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> well, I, I do I believe that. that. Thank you very much. Yeah, because it just th- this you're you have the resume, you know that no. you're making. Well, I tell my kids, you just want to leave the breadcrumbs. You make. Well, how did Pete Holmes get so big? Well, he did this and he did this, and you know, you yeah, know, Walt yeah. Disney. They'd ask him about how'd you get so successful. He goes, Well, I just I just count my failures. That's all I do is think about stuff that didn't work because hmm. i know the more i collect of those then success is coming really mm-hmm. that's a good yeah. one yeah this is a free podcast people just download it for free <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that church lane guy i don't know he was kind of funny I mean, the, he, the cosby thing with pudding was funny in the beginning then they get really philosophical i don't know man no this is depends the, on the age group this is my favorite part what were, what was your original question oh so Here's the thing that I was talking about in therapy. I was like, as much as I'm, I'm not materialistic either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't uh, believe in flash, and I don't need uh, mm-hmm. to go to Dubai and a private jet or, or any right. of that sort of stuff. But I'm like, it did trouble me. I bought a house, and I was like, this house gives me a lot of pleasure, right? Because it gives me 
it's quiet. It That's gives good. me space, and I love it. Yes. So then I, I had to come to terms with the fact that house, material thing, made me happier. It did. Yes. It flies in the face of everything mystical that I've ever studied or, or am studying. But I'm like, for better or worse, mm-hmm. the house makes me happier. And when I get the phone call, and I do mean to speak positively here, when I get the phone call that we're going to make this pilot, I'm going to be happier than I am right now. Yes. Which is a little bit tricky because, going back to old D.B. Chopes, I, he, I had Deepak Chopra. We were sharing a car. I happened to see him at the airport. We were going oh, to the same cool. place. We yeah. shared a car. Mm-hmm. And I asked him a question that Judd Apatow wanted me to ask him mm-hmm. because he and I like to talk about mystical things from time to time. And he said, why are you happy? If you're so – this is Judd's question. Why are you happy? If you are so aware of your insignificance, mm-hmm. drop on the windshield. It's just going to get wiped away. Why are you happy? And I asked him that and he said – I would say to that, the answer to your question <laughs> is happiness – that's contingent on some on circumstance is another type of misery. Mm-hmm. So what you're seeing me right now mm-hmm. is I am happy and blissful and joyful because of the pure pleasure of being. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to you can't take it away from me unless you, you know, you kill him and then mm-hmm. it's over for sure. But he's like it's not contingent on anything. No. Well, well, two things. One is um, you don't want to – I mean it's OK to have contentment over not physically suffering. So in other words, the, <laughs> fact that, the fact that you have a house means you could be working on a bit or playing the guitar or whatever you do and you're not going to hear, yeah, get, 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 get. that's yeah, yeah, OK. Yeah. <laughs> the shower works yeah. and the refrigerator works yeah. and there's a little bit of space. I yeah. think that's OK. Now you can add a million trinkets to that. You know, right. guy's $12,000 watch. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but money is all about a sense of control, which maybe is an illusion, but that's mm-hmm. the reason to have it. Mm-hmm. Always be careful of the wealth effect. The more you make, the more you spend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how much I spend, you know, uh, just mm-hmm. from everything, uh, 100000 a month. Mm-hmm. So I have to make a quarter million a month just to break even mm-hmm. at age 59. Mm-hmm. But all the things you're talking about, there's a time and place, and I'm only at the beginning of where that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. In other words, I can look ne- back now at 59 and look at raising my kids and what I'm doing with them now and uh, my marriage and the way I've helped my family. I feel a sense of contentment that I didn't fuck up. Mm-hmm. I didn't become an alcoholic. I didn't um, panic. I, I didn't um, have a divorce that was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no regrets about what I tried to do as a father. I wasn't perfect, but I really, I met so many old guys that were just regret that they just weren't there, mm-hmm. you know? And so you, that's another type of happiness, and that is disconnected from hit movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that will happen mm-hmm. 35 cents, cents. in 25 years. You will be you'll be about right. <laughs> You're gonna have to suffer for a quarter century. But knowing that it's there, yeah, because you'll look back and you'll go, you know, the perspective I got recently just about what I've done because I was all in that because all my peers became crazy superstars, you know, mm-hmm. Chris Rock or Sandler or whatever, you know. It's like what happened to me and Carell and Colbert and all that. And, but then I look back with my kids and I see they're trying to get a little teeny place on comedy mountain mm-hmm. and all the stuff they need to go through i'd forgotten all that i just threw that aside mm-hmm. that i was a a, a busboy smoking weed playing risk thinking maybe i'll try stand up yeah and i was on snl 10 years later yeah eh, okay that was all right now what else you got <laughs> so just the fact i mean you didn't come to show business family or you know so you made your way out here just i'd say a way to contentment is to just check in with yourself and think of all the steps you made yeah and that they were all brave but once you make them like 
how did Pete do it? Why aren't Why aren't you working at Best Buy where, where right. you grew up? Well, what did you do? Well, he did this and he did that. And did, I mean, your resume is pretty stout. It seemed like you were instantly getting stuff, writing for this show, appearing on that show. Yeah. But dissatisfaction is the fear that's going to go away. So it's just this deal. You have to kind of be a little frustrated, right. a little unhappy with your career well, to re- maybe go forward. Mm-hmm. So, it's relevance, right? That's yeah. That's the unwinnable game. Well, especially when you're my age and you, you, the fear of being pathetic and attempting to stay relevant mm. is a very scary thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like in show business, you want to back out of the room very slowly. It's almost like a saloon, a Western, and just put your gun down and go, I'm leaving now. <laughs> yeah. You guys fight it out. Yeah, yeah. I had a good time. And you get on Rick Moranis' horse. Oh, Rick is fascinating. Isn't yeah, I thought about him the other day. Yeah, I think about, he comes up on this podcast all the time because he's that example. He's completely gone, disconnected. He's on a farm, intentionally, as far as we know, and yeah, as far that, as I know, that's interesting. I I don't think I'm I'm a halfway Rick Moranis. Yeah, you know, I could easily if someone said you're going to move to Italy tomorrow. Yeah, and I would just stack up books and yeah. Why don't you? Because it's funny. I postpone those sort of fantasies, and I, and I still. I'm not saying you don't have anything to contribute. I, I believe you have wonderful stuff ahead of you, but do you you feel the compulsion to do it? Well, it's twofold. One is. Show business is unrecognizable. So if Red Skeleton uh, was around or Jackie Gleason these rev- or Sid Caesar, they would have had podcasts. They would have been doing <laughs> YouTube videos. You can't leave show business now if, if, unless you really, really want to. That's right. If the, if the thing is money, more money and more fame, you might have a problem. As far as it's a renaissance, uh, the, the short films I, I did with my sons, I mean, it looked like a Ivory Virgin film. It's like, what yeah. the f- Fuck. Yeah. I have these tools now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second thing is, is with my... You want to participate in the Renaissance. I think that's beautiful. Yes, of course. Yeah, of yeah. Course. That I think it's almost a moral responsibility. Every, it's kind of like everyone needs to make a feature film yeah. before they, they leave this earth. Because you can. <laughs> especially with a radio frequency mic. Yeah. Nice focus. Maybe just natural light. Yeah. You can make a feature film. Yeah. And you can put it on YouTube and go, there's my movie. Yeah. The way that, but the other thing is I'm exactly where I want to be and what I'm what I want to do because of um, my sons uh, I feel like they had this mantle uh, and it's not like and I left but whatever I was big enough in the machine that I never got out of the fame machine yeah so they became Dana Carvey's son yeah and I heard it at the lacrosse game in eighth grade that's Dana Carvey's kid yeah you know Hey, and, watch the high stick that's Carvey's kid it's Carvey's kid <laughs> yeah and uh, thank God they have each other but I always thought you know, my Brooklyn friend gave me that advice. I think, you know, you got to bring them, bring them in closer. Your kids. Yeah, because my generation keeps equivocating to when I grew up. Uh, hey, by 19, I was working at Arby's and I had my own apartment and whatever. What does it have to do with this smartphone, super connected, hyper social media world where these kids, there was a time I didn't ever own a jet, but I did a thing for Netflix. We had a a Gulf Stream from Paris back to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then in one of the cabins, the flight attendant set them up with sleeping bags, and they were watching all the Lord of the Rings trilogy, mm. <laughs> eating banana splits. And I thought, so I can't <laughs> give them that and then go go be a busboy. Yeah. I did. Yeah. So I realized that <laughs> they're doing the one thing I can't totally give them, which yeah. is fucking stand-up comedy. It's not like I'm a big film star, put the kid in the movie. Right. You know? So they're they're doing the work, but I'm enjoying just trying to help facilitate it just a little bit. I can't do it with them. I'm, I'm just impressed. I keep hearing you say, and I, I believe you, that it's not causing any sort of resentment. I mean, like, stand-up is such a 
I, I always equate it to the mob, and you did your hits, you right. know what I mean? And you yeah. killed people. And now you got Christopher to go to the Sopranos. Now Chris, your kids are like Christopher Moltisanti, and they want to be made now. Right. And you're saying, like, let's, let's find a place where we can make that happen. Well, I'm just saying that it, it generally takes 10 years. Maybe with a few shortcuts, a little bit of advice, maybe you could, you know, five years. You know, I tell them, look, there is no, I was pre-fracturing, even pre-cable. Mm-hmm. When the Golden Girls got a big number, we got a big number. Mm. We were having like 20, 25 million watching by the end, by, mm-hmm. before I left. Mm-hmm. And I said, it's not the same. I, all I can say to you is that you can be in show business. And I think within three to five years, you could make a hundred grand a year. I just throw that number out. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And you'll have a certain modicum of fame. I don't, I can't say my thing was so fluky. It's just fractured into a million little pieces. It, I think it's better. Like Conan and I were having dinner, Conan O'Brien, my friend. <laughs> and Conan O'Brien, my friend, said, uh, it'll be like working for the post office. Yeah. You know? So it's not a pie in the sky, but I don't think they're thinking that they'll blow up like that. Because mm-hmm. I told them that can happen or not happen, but that's not the reason to you do gotta it. you got to keep that out of your mind, right? I tell them just to look at their feet. Just look down. Don't, don't even Facebook. Don't do anything. Just you're working a craft, and what your peers will not do is sit with their notes and write bits out. Your peers, most of them, they won't mm-hmm. record it. They won't keep evolving their act. They won't take chances. So if you're able to treat it like that and not like this whimsy, let's get drunk, look at these chicks, and kind of the same act for two years, Mm -hmm. then, you know, so I I, I know it is a fine line, and I sometimes feel weird about it because they'll do a set and then I'll go on, and it's like just destruction because Mm -hmm. I'm 40 years in, I don't give a shit, and I have a thousand (laughs) weapons and arrow, phew, you don't like that? How about this? Phew, phew, you know, that's what we're going to do. That's the thing (laughs) that we're going to do. Now, we know. We're going to make a decision to decide the decisions that we got to decide in a decisive manner. Uh, but there's no way around, and I have a lot of empathy for um, your uh, feeling of guilt around your family. Yeah. Do you have siblings? Well, I have a brother, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's doing comedy, too. He's taking some writing classes out here in L.A. And There uh, you go. So, you know, I don't necessarily feel so bad for him. He's, he's making a go at it, and I like, I like that. I'm, I'm rooting for him. It's just I go home and my parents are just like a lot of parents. I really think I can speak in generalities and people still mm-hmm. know what I'm talking about. They're just kind of like there's living and then there's just kind of like going through motions sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like you want to snap people that are going through motions out of it, even if they're harmless, harmless motions. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Dinner. If I go to bed full and uh, mm-hmm. watch Jeopardy. Uh, mm-hmm. That is that is good, and then I, I happen to have like a lot of very inspiring friends, non comedian friends that are just like, no, we gotta learn this new thing, and we gotta absorb wonder, and we and tomorrow's mm-hmm. gonna be different from today. Yeah. Let's get, let's shake off despair, and let's shake off that dull ache of everyday existence, and mm-hmm. let's let's claim the infinite possibilities of the moment, and really realize that we're drowning in three feet of water, and stand up, and that's a mm-hmm. that's a big burden. Yeah. That is a lot to a lot to take in. I, um, you know, it went to this level with my mom that there were pictures of all the kids in the fridge, and as I would visit, as I was getting more successful, there'd be more pictures of me. You know, <laughs> signed headshots. Yeah, I love your pie. 
But, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm I'm friends with the director of cardiology at Cedar sinai P.K. Shaw, who does dog leg this and all that. <laughs> and I have bits about him, but uh, it's fun being around someone that in in the science and uh, really, really steeped into the, uh, you know, what the genome meant, solving the genome and how it's being applied now. And, and he's... He's got all these things where he's going to eradicate, you know, the type of heart disease I have and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's cool to be around those kinds of people. It is. But, yeah, you'd feel like that's almost a cliche of Midwestern people, automatrons, just yeah. let's sit on the Chesterfield and put on the Zenith, you know? It's like, yeah, when do you uh, when do you say I can't move the wheel anymore? You know what I mean? And, like, it, it, how do we empower our parents, the people that empowered us? How do we, you know, teach them to keep learning you know what I mean? Well, my father, when he was like 75, looked at a computer and just went, bah! <laughs> I'm not going to be on a computer because then I'd be on a computer all day long. Jesus Christ, you big dummy. God damn it. You know, that's a direct quote. What a great sound he has, right? Yeah. He's this like, is as the he's, poo. he's gotten older. It just says, oh, God damn it. Do a podcast. What the hell's a podcast? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's a bunch of bullshit. He's a fly fisherman. That was his religion. Yeah. That's where he... And my mom was well-read and very spiritual. She did get into all... Quantum mechanics, string theory. Really? She loved Shirley MacLaine, mm. multiple lives, um, all that stuff. Really into it? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And did she pass away? She did. And when, when was that? She, uh, like six months ago. Are you kidding? Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, but she was, she was 88, and she had dementia, and, you know, was it, it was time. I don't mean to be insensitive. Was it like she was gone before she was gone? Kind yes. Of situation? Yes. I have an aunt like yeah. that who's, who's very sick. She was, the way she presented with dementia alzheimer's was very cheerful and right? very very giggly and happy so it wasn't like the angry kind she of got what that you get. strain yes she got and the- she kept her sense of humor uh. like the last time i saw her i brought her uh, a little teddy bear and I, I said this is mr fluffy and she did mr fluffy she just thought it was funny yeah. mr fluffy <laughs> and then one time we bought her a, a plant and she goes, have you met my friend? So she had a sense of humor yeah. in there somewhere. Yeah. But, um, you know, once again, it's just when you're going on this sort of this journey of life, if you make it to 80 or something, yeah. where I'm at now, so I've lost a parent, um, someone you know. And, and also just, um, I don't know of my generation, but it, I was very close. My family is very close to Phil Hartman and Phil Hartman's children. Mm-hmm. And we were lived right around the corner and we're always over all the time. It's just shit has happened, you know? Yeah. Some stuff's happened. I mean, Frank Sinatra died right next to me. The one night in, you can look it up, uh, I think it was May 98. I was having a, an angioplasty to to fix the botched bypass. Mm-hmm. And he came in that night, Cedar sinai And they put him in the room next to me. Then he went out of the ICU, but he died that night. No and I way. thought, what are the odds that that guy I used to see on TV died right next to me? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That is weird. Yeah. The, the Phil Hartman thing, because that was public, I, I mm-hmm. understand how hard that is. And because he was such a gift, you know, uh, to me specifically, I just... I still have dreams about Phil yeah. a few times a year. Is that right? Um, yeah, and in, in my dream, Phil has been sort of lobotomized. He's not really all there. I'm trying to reach him. I'm trying to reach him. I don't know what that means. You can run by your therapist. I mean, what does it mean to you? Because in that dream, you are Phil. How do you feel as Phil in that dream? Hmm. Are you trying to get back to? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there was that sense you just uh, couldn't, you can't reach him, can't reach him. I yeah. Um, I guess for me, yeah, always trying to connect. You know, it's it's like um, like anything in life. 
uh, like say you're having sex or whatever, and you yeah. just there's you want to not have that other voice. Well, it's like, how am like, I doing? The, yeah, the flow. <laughs> you want to be in the flow. How am I doing right now? I wonder. Yeah, everybody yeah. wants validation. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to and, know how they do. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we, maybe you and I think too much. <laughs> well, that's, that's for sure. That's the basic way to... <laughs> that's for yeah. sure. But to be honest, the more I get... Uh, who said this? Pat Oswald and I were talking about how your brain should be like a tool. You pick it up to use it when you need it. And mm-hmm. honestly, I, I'm having some success in separating my being from my ego. And you're talking to my ego right now. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? This is, this is the character of Pete. Real Pete has no interest in this podcast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't mean yeah. that to say this podcast. I just mean everything. He's, oh, yeah. He's kind of I, detached from I look everything. at my emotions. I don't know which guy said it, whether it was Ram Dass or the other guy. Tick, knock, top, it up. But, like, Dennis and I will talk about, uh, you know, schadenfreude. So your yeah. friend's movie doesn't open, and, and you're feeling a little better that day. And you're like, you just look at that emotion as a, a, something that exists inside you. I, like, put my hand around it. Yeah. I don't take any kind of guilt around that. Well, that's one that's of the... That's just like the rubber hammer on the knee in the doctor's office. That's right. It doesn't mean anything, but we laugh about it, talk yep. about it. It's 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 the dark side of this, this derby. We're in, in there off. There's Patton Oswalt on the outside. <laughs> there comes Pete Holmes. Pete Holmes, Louis C.K. And it's Louis C.K. Louis C.K. You know. <laughs> And it's sort of like, and everyone else is keeping score. Yeah. If I do a show with Dennis Miller and Kevin Neal, and we all hear from our friends, I thought, I thought you were the best. Yeah, of course. Well, what? what, 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 what who gives a shit? It's interesting. I've been thinking about that that biblical concept: "Don't judge not, lest ye be judged," sort of thing. And I really mm-hmm. do think detachment has a lot to do with judging. So I go home for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting at dinner. Uh, it's Tuesday night. I sit mm-hmm. at dinner with my parents, and it really can infuriate me if I judge everything. Oh, my father's not listening because, you know, he doesn't. Mm-hmm. He refuses to wear a hearing aid. He can't right. even hear me. Okay, don't judge it. Just right. look at it impartially. That's, that's what – look at it like a dream. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you're just like, this dream is killing it. That's yeah. exactly what my father's like. How right. surreal that he's here in this moment. Right. Me. There's my mother. So there is a little bit of detachment, but like, when you stop judging, you get less emotional flare-ups, that water balloon blowing up on the inside of you that's just anxiety and stress and tingly bad feelings. You know what I mean? If you stop judging – you don't have that stress as much. You right. just look at it like that's what's yeah. happening. Eckhart Tolle talks about like when things are happening, it's a little bit of a self-delusion, but act as if you asked for that to happen. So if my mom starts filing her nails in the car, act as mm-hmm. if that's what I wanted to happen. Right. Because it is, that's yeah. exactly what my mother yeah. would do. Right. But, uh, and then when we do judge, when I go, oh, my father should listen to me. My mother should not file her nails. This is horse shit. Mm-hmm. This fucking house, it's filled with ghosts. It sucks. I hate it. Then I start judging myself that same sort of way. I think that's a little bit of what that principle means. Mm. When I stopped yeah. judging them, I, I was easier on myself as well. Well, my wife uh, follows Course in Miracles. You're familiar with I that? I am. Yeah. I have the so, app. So she's kind of Don't into that, <laughs> that this is a Keanu Reeves kind of thing that we're in. That yeah. We're with God and... Uh, we're all dreaming this, but even in kind of a nuts and bolts way, like a Marine Stapleton, who was it who was in Interiors, Woody Allen movie you saw the other day? Oh, I can't remember. Uh, but she was kind of saying this. It just things become less important. You just let go more just naturally as you get older. Yeah. And the things that would drive you nuts. And, and uh, you know, Louie's been in this area, but I just talk about first world problems. And I especially feel it when I'm at Whole Foods feeling the avocados. 
because mm-hmm. I th- that that just seems so bourgeois. And I think <laughs> I could be in a ditch waiting for the rebels. Yeah, and yet ah, oh. you're squeeze. This one feels like we could eat it today. So how do we not feel <laughs> just fucked up by all this? Yeah, you know because we're so. We have too much. We have too much toys, too much stuff, fresh water. We got, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's my, my wife loves to travel, and she was in Tanzania, and just, you know, it was so epiphanal. You can see it uh, on television, but yeah. until you're there, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, we should, you know, we'll fly somewhere together. By accident, we'll be on the plane. There'll be a crash landing in the Canadian mountains or something. And then we will have to crawl and suffer and fight just to survive. Yes. You know, and during that time where you and I are hands and knees crawling over the mountain, eating worms and trying to find water with chapped lips, we won't have anything but pure experience, pure, <laughs> pure love and pure joy. Pure being. Yeah. A hundred some years ago, you would work on the farm 15 hours. You do kumbaya, some rabbit stew, and then you'd sleep 11 hours without ambient or anything. Yeah. And you do it again. Yeah. So when free time came in and disposable income, we all started to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We fucked you know, ourselves. I suppose. I don't know. Well, that is the, that is the happiness theory. People that have jobs uh, where they're doing something practical, where they can have flow, a mm-hmm. flow moment, like a yeah. line cook can have some good flow. Those people are sleeping better than the people oh, yeah. that are on the hedonic treadmill, like hedonism. You're just wanting the next thing, the next thing. Yeah. The next thing, the next and thing. being a comedian a little bit or being in this world, unless you're like Conan, because Conan, it just comes up. Another show. Another show. Yeah. The rest of us are I like. I thought about him in the shower today. We I have, was like, he's really? on that train. Cause I, yeah. I was just, thinking, he's I was experiencing like, it. I was like, it would be great to see him. I got to see him when I was in Boston, and I was like, oh, my girlfriend would like to come t- get dinner with us. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I should do that. And I was like, he's doing a show. So I had to yeah. think about like another man's reality. Yeah. Every day it's the show. Are you fucking right. kidding me? Every day it's the show. It's a so whole that, different. You did it for a while. I did it for a small time, and it gave me just an inkling of what it's like. And, and I know. I, I know that it's simultaneously the best thing and the worst thing. It's like life. It's a right. it's a it's a perfect representation of life. Yes, <laughs> it is. Because I always feel like I kind of have homework due my whole life. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and someday you just want to put it down. Oh yeah. But I do think that yeah, life in the box. I don't know what that's like when you get to the end. You know, you just must. Most of your dreams must be about. Dennis Miller said it best when he had a talk show for about it nine months. Because every time I turned around, they were pushing me through the curtain. <laughs> Jesus Christ, can I get a cup of Joe here? Take a break. Another one, another one. And when you're on a talk show, this well-oiled machine, it's still, yeah. you're not really there. They're not really there. Three, two, thanks. Good, well, yeah. see you tomorrow. Well, I know you've done a, a great number of talk shows, and you can tell sometimes, I'm sure, if the host is really there. I, I had guests look at me, and they're like, oh, Pete's not quite here. You know what I mean? And maybe that moment got cut out. It's hard. I mean, I don't know. I go on these shows. I don't know what I'm doing. I got no goals. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> because you went back and told 16-year-old self to take it easy. Well, I don't, don't know. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah. I think that, you know, I worry about other people. Now you're someone I'll worry about. Is that right? No. <laughs> <laughs> what if I actually... I'll tell you if we make the pilot. <laughs> you know, this is all right. Song, but I just that the divorce rate has quadrupled in, in my age group mm. in the last generation. Is that right? Because science will not let us die. It'll mm-hmm. keep us here for a whole, you know. So you're sitting there looking at your spouse, and you go, really? Another three decades with this bag of nothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I was just on an airplane. Uh, this was flying home, and the guy next to me was like, if you can make it another 30 years, you'll 
uh, reverse aging, where they, this guy was at the forefront. Oh, they'll give your telomeres will be long. It's telomere yeah. stuff. So I was talking to him about telomeres, and he was like, mm. I was taking something for my telomeres, and he was like, I wouldn't take it quite yet, because the problem with uh, what I was taking, which was called, I don't want to put a pharmaceutical under the, under the bus here, because I don't know all the facts. But he was like, right. when you right. repair your healthy cells, your telomeres, mm-hmm. and, your, and that healthy yeah. DNA, you're also repairing. Destructive DNA. So the mice that they're tripling their life their lifespan mm-hmm. with this sort of technology, they also have seven times as much cancer. So because the bad cells right. are also receiving treatment, yeah, a good like like healthy good treatment stuff that makes your cells grow might seem That's a little right. scary. That's right. So he was yeah. like, just wait it out. Don't mm-hmm. get hit by a bus for thirty years, and then you'll get to take drugs. Are you doing the math for yourself? You're like, I'll be 50. No, I'm just saying that's a fascinating concept that you may, there may be, because you wonder what will be the amazing thing that what I've lived through, just the smartphone, the web. And, yeah, I, well, I can't. And I think it's biotech. I think you may hit the sweet spot where you'll be like, I can't fucking believe it. I feel like we'll I'm talk about your cholesterol. Old. We're going to get little bugs in there, nanobots and all that sort of stuff. Oh, yeah, that'll be all, all taken care of. And he yeah. was like, forget about freezing your, or uploading your consciousness to a computer like Kurzweil wants to do. He was like, we are trying to get the whatever the you know, general medicine guy, mm-hmm. whatever the United States attorney, right. whatever, to call aging a disease, and we're going to cure it. And he was like, "We're going to do it." So he's like, "It's not freezing you mm-hmm. if you make it thirty more years." So I'll be thirty sixty-five. Hmm. I won't freeze my sixty-five-year-old body. He was right. like, "You'll be able to take treatments that will take you back to having the body of a twenty-five-year-old." And he said, it, mm. "And I believed him. He was a weird dude and a great dude." I, I was like, "I might have him on the podcast." He was an interesting Well, guy. did Walt Disney, his whole body's frozen, but Ted Williams is just the head? Teddy Wells just got the head, yeah. And I just, I just was musing about that the other day, about the technician or whoever it was who's <laughs> removed Ted Williams' head. How was it today, honey? Ah, eh, nothing. I cut off a Hall of Famer's head and put it in, <laughs> on ice. Because it couldn't have been some renowned scientist. It was a basically one of you know, you, Dems and those guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ted Williams' head. Okay, good in the ice? Give me the bucket. You're gonna, uh, put, yeah, let's lower it down into the cryogenic chamber. All right. Okay, good. Let's eat. We got lobster. I will hedge my bet with just one little cell. They can put it in a cup, you know. Oh, and make because they're not going to need; they'll just need a cell and bring you back Jurassic Park. But will will it be me? Mm. That's a good question. You know when you really get zen is when you kind of look forward to the end. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. I think you said something interesting that the older you get, the more you just kind of naturally start having more detachment, more acceptance of the end. Yeah, less ego. Yeah, more mellow, letting go of things. The closer you are to shitting your pants, yes, because that really is the destruction of your ego and this idea that you're some sort of god. Yes. The closer you are to that, and maybe even after that, the closer you are to going, no, Buddha was right. I'm on fire. Right. <laughs> well, when they yeah, when, when they were having me on the gurney and they're taking me down to, to chop me in half yes. and actually reach in and stop my heart with a glove and then put me in this lung, heart, you know, yeah. you... You know, you find out, well, where, what would you do? Would you be like, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I just totally gave it up. I, I kind of got calm in a way. Mm. You just sort of like completely surrender. That's right. Completely surrender. And that's what you should be doing a little bit your whole life. Well, coming face to face with there's an empowering element to surrendering your power. That's that's one of the craziest paradoxes is that like here you are in the most disempowered position. You're going to be right. uh, under. Yes. And we're going to stop your heart. Yes. And you're saying that you were elated and r- rose above it in your consciousness, in, in your mind. And right? also, I don't know if you've had major surgery, but it was this and it was six hours later. 
And I always wonder, wherever I was, that's what I perceived death to be. There was no dreaming. There was no sense of time. Hmm. There was just a view. I said, close your eyes, wake up. It's tomorrow. Really? It'd be like, where was I? Wow. Could use that the next time I fly to Australia. Jesus Christ. Jeez, I'd love to see you on an airplane. We could try to out-neuroticize each Every other. Every time I'm on an airplane, Should I, I do any jokes and... toward the end? Or, I mean, is this... A... You can. I, I usually ask one funny question at but the you, end. But these are generally philosophical like this? I've never had oh, one Oh, yeah. I... That's what the show is. Katie? <laughs> she said the most least convincing yes. Yes, Katie. It's called You Made It Weird. We talk about the weird stuff. So when you think you Oh, die, you made it weird. That's right. You so, die, yeah. it's over? Yeah. Dead over? If I had to guess, yeah. I would say yes, and that's just great. Yeah, the big sleep. Where was I during the Renaissance? The Renaissance. Where Did was I miss I? it? Where was I during World War II? Yeah. I wasn't here. Or were, I Is mean, it sad that I wasn't here? Because it shouldn't be sad that I won't be here later on. Yeah. But it is just it's, the quest for, you know, the eternal. Yeah. Like how could, maybe this is when I die, the whole planet just dies. So it's like Twilight. We're all thing. in your dream. Yeah. Jesus. We had to pick Carvey. So if that bypass hadn't worked. He's got were... heart problems. We got we to gotta put, put everything into Carvey. <laughs> Or the whole planet goes. <laughs> Give this man a kale smoothie. I don't know anything about heart health. <laughs> oh, well. Give yeah. this man whole grain oats. I don't know. Well, if you want to elongate your telomeres, Mediterranean diet, Is what's your right? cholesterol? I'm vegan, so I don't eat any animal cholesterol. So when I go to the doctor, okay. they're kind of like, oh, you mean just naturally occurring? Yeah. You're like, not buying that. Well, the vegan thing, you can have a little fish if you want. Oh, you think so? Well, vegan, you eat a lot of bread products and stuff? And no, I'm a plant vegan. Meaning, what do you eat? Just plants? Yeah, plants. Just plants? I mean, I'm not a bread vegan. Bread vegan is a thing, and plant. I, right. don't, I don't just eat plants. Right. I What's mean, your you're protein me, source? I eat, uh, like, brown rice powder. Oh, okay. And then so, wow. blue-green We are algae. all shampaku. That's, yeah, yeah, okay. All that sort of stuff. And also greens. I eat a shit ton of greens. For breakfast this morning, I had... Two heads of butter lettuce and a whole container of baby kale. And that has protein in it. It doesn't have a lot. But then I had a Do you nap a lot? (laughs) (laughs) I go by if it's a machine, whatever makes you feel really good. If it makes you if you feel operative on that and sexualized, how's your sex drive? Yeah, it's good. I'll tell you what really makes my dick hard. You want a tip? Okay. Iron. Uh, so eat a bowl of lentils. I've taken Viagra before. It's like taking two Viagra. I couldn't believe it. I must have been anemic. But then I got all this blood work done because I'm, mm. I'm, not, I'm not a fucking dummy. I go to nutritionists. Right, right. I have yeah. to look at everything and make sure I'm not killing myself with my fucking right. kale bowl breakfast. Mm. And they're like, you're not anemic. I was like, but when I eat lentils, I get boners. I Googled it. I typed in, lentils gives me boner. It filled it in mm. for me. Wow. How it's, did your testicles react to the lentils? Did they swell up? Or? <laughs> they shrunk to the size Which of lentils. Which was so funny to go to that. <laughs> you know, anally, I get really puckered up if I have... Um, <laughs> Pers- persimmons and um, is that true? Well, I don't know. It just suddenly <laughs> this long philosophical conversation, and suddenly and then it's I like, end with I get boners from lentils. Yeah, it's just the amount, the volume of my semen and my <laughs> anal cavity really expands when I eat a lot of lentils. Anyway, I'm going to see the Whole Foods squeezing the avocados, going. I should be in a ditch somewhere waiting for the. Are rubbish. you guys going to make this into a two-parter or what? No, people have long jobs. Where they listen to these in, in their long haul Now, do you ever do it like Dan Harmon down there with the audience? We do live ones. You'd be great for a live one. Would you like to do one? Well, that'd be a whole different thing. Because right? oh, yeah, then you instantly go for you do silly time. killer gorilla. Yeah. We do it at the Troubadour. I was just thinking mm-hmm. today we need to do another LA one. So I'll if do you'll it. do it, I would love to have you. Here's I will do the question it. that I hope 
we can get a laugh out of, but don't feel pressure. Not at all. I'm right here with you. I can go back. Simple question. What is, if not the, one of the hardest times you've left? I'm sure you laugh a lot. Hmm. In between. I mean, a specific story where we really laughed? Here's the um, thing, though. I, I know one. It, it yeah. doesn't have to be a story. I, I always like to take that pressure off. Here's a great one. Brian Green, the astrophysicist, was on, and he goes, when I was a kid, we made pizza, and the oven was broken, so we just picked up handfuls of the of the cheese and sauce and threw it at each other. That's the hardest. And that image is stuck with me. Children throwing pizza at each other. So that was a good one. That's not a story like, I opened the door and my dad was wearing the captain's hat. You know what I mean? Yeah, The yeah. one your mom shit in? The very same. It's not like that. Right. Just looking well, for a good laugh. We laughed uh, one night in New York after SNL. My brother was there, some friends. And we started getting into this thing I used to do, which was um, Hitler... Bobby Kennedy, Jack Hen- Kennedy. Um, let's see. Hitler Kennedy's and Elvis were all still alive in a bunker. And so we wound that down for hours. <laughs> so they were in a bunker beneath Las Vegas. And it was just musing about that. You know, um, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a dress and uh, go up the shaft elevator. Anybody want to? Anybody need anything? <laughs> uh, I'm going to stay here and uh, work with Elvis. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, Jack, uh, will you tell uh, Hitler to uh, stop staring at me? <laughs> Come on, Hitler. You know Bobby don't like it when you stare at him. He will not stare. Oh, I'm going to... Let's see, what is that? It was like Bobby Kennedy was teaching English to Hitler. Uh, uh, she uh, uh, spot uh, run. Schaus, die wird Titan unten. No, uh, uh, just say see. Flausen. Uh, 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 spot. Schlossen. Uh, uh, run. Frauten. Come on, Bobby. He's 119. He ain't hardly English. You're wasting your time. Let's uh, let's get up in the shaft elevator. I'll put on the dress. We'll get a hoagie over. I don't want to go until he learns the basics. You know. So we went this for hours, and we're all just I don't want to go until yeah. he learns the basics. And then we had a parallel shaft elevator where it was Jimmy Stewart, Nixon. I can't remember what. You know, we, we've we been down here, too, for decades. You know? yeah. Yeah, yeah, we all. Oh, and they had Cary Grant was in there. I can't believe you guys decided to fake your own deaths and didn't live in this bunker beneath Las Vegas like we did. I can't believe it. Yeah, they had the same idea we had. Uh, we thought we'd fake our own dash and wait until uh, we could uh, go up to the surface and take over the world. Well, it's not exactly about taking over the world. It's just a, we just want to kind of do something different. That's all. I thought freaking, uh, I couldn't believe Bobby and Jackie wanted to do it. They had some pretty good fake deaths. Schlaust, the Titan! Why does he have to be here? I can't believe you brought Hitler. I understand the Kennedy brothers. They were sexy. They banged everything east of Hollywood Drive. But what about Hitler? Why did you bring him? I don't understand what you did. You know, anyway, <laughs> we just wound that down into oblivion and tears of He blood. will not stare. He will not stare at me. I'm not going to stay in this bunker and have Adolf Hitler stare at me. I'm blinking for extended periods of time. He's just real old. He's uh, kind of halfway catatonic. He's not trying to stay. I will not. <laughs> anyway, so that was one of the times I laughed the hardest. Yeah. Go, doing that, and then they were laughing. This just was like this big till 5 a.m. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, I, I, he will not stay out is now the new pizza handfuls. Yeah. Elvis, repeat. There was a lot longer stuff we did, but I'm a little, I'm a little, little blood sugar. I, you know, some, uh, four hours in a podcast. You know, we, yeah, I mean, we, you know, 
philosophize. James Joyce, you know, we went, you know, all around, you know, we went Gandhi and the, you know, the afterlife and the, frankly, you know, I could be quietly humping someone in the other room and I, that's what you love about Woody Allen. We saw, my wife and I love Woody Allen. He's great. Mm. Have you met him? No, never have. Uh. We have Woody Allen fest, but we just love his movies. Oh, me but, too. Uh, do you like his new stuff? Because I do. Oh, yeah. Midnight in Paris, yeah, I thought. Was... I, I love it. And Matchpoint, I really loved. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was really he, was, he was in that. Yeah. I should do some modern impressions, I think. The next time I'm on with you, I'll be, have a John Malkovich. Okay. That's my goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no one does him. <laughs> no one's done him. People do him. Really? I do a bad Malkovich. Let's hear it. It's, I haven't done it in a long time, but here's my touchdown. here's it's my kind touch of almost fey. I'm stronger. I'm better. I'm faster. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> where, I that. where are you going, you fuck? Stuff like that. All you have to do is say his name. You can do any impression. John Malkovich. Yeah. Yes. But I'm Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> Just the name is funny. You don't even have to do the impression. Well, that name is the British flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what that name did is. I do, did I do uh, Michael Caine as God on Conan? No. A little bit? Maybe he did. I've been playing around with it. Michael Caine as God. The God would come down. <laughs> I'm God, and I tell you, you've got to stop killing each other over religions. All right, well, what's the true one? It's obvious. It's Hare Krishna. I made that. That's the one you should all be following. The lady's like, why did you make sex? Because I like to watch. I'm trying to stop, but it's too bloody entertaining. Are we special as a planet? No, I put you right in the middle. You had the Beatles... Einstein and Bette Midler. After that, not much. <laughs> How many planets are there? There's two and a half trillion planets. I made the Bravo people purple. I regretted it the first time I did it. I don't know. That was just my musing. Sorry, I'm doing shtick at the end. I like the philosophical. No, it's good. Did we got through it. I mean, I got, You did it, I man. didn't even get halfway into the... You did. I'm back on. Let's finish like this. All right. Anyway, uh, for anyone who's actually made it all the way through this, you are my <laughs> hero. And I hope you were doing household chores and had it on in the background. John Malkovich. I'm John Malkovich. It doesn't even matter. <laughs> it was sort of fey in a way and almost Brooklyn-y. Yeah, no, it is. What are you... But he, he, he over-enunciates. That's all I... I'm not saying mine is good, but I'm saying he definitely over-enunciates. He's like, yes, we were high. Yes, he does. He does yeah, that. Because he's theater. What are you trying to say? It's almost like Betty Davis or Dangerous something. liaisons. <laughs> <laughs> I just say movies that he did. <laughs> he was the greatest. Would you... This is how we end the show, because it needs an ending. Okay. We have the guests say, keep it crispy. And you can say it as anybody that you'd like. Okay. You can say it as Dana. Pick them out. Oh. How should I say it? You I could say most it. Of the, I oh, forget you get most of the voices I do. Would you say it as I Garth? Do. I will. What is it? Keep it crispy? Yeah. What happened to our earphones? Hi. Hi, this is Garth. Keep it crispy. <laughs> it's a funny rhythm, right? I didn't do it the second movie, but I did it the first movie. <laughs> I can't believe you said that. That's crazy to keep it crispy. That's the essence, because that's my brother Brad. You know it's based on him, right? Yeah. I do. Who yeah. invented the video toaster. Video toaster. Which is something that I wanted so badly so this when means... I was young. Oh, we could do any of these. Okay. Oh, you know which one it. that I was interested yeah. that said on mm-hmm. Wikipedia you do is Ricky Gervais. How do you do a Ricky Gervais? I haven't done it since he came out. Let's see. <laughs> I'm taking a piss out of you. <laughs> having a bit of go. Having a bit of a go. You're all... 
bloody gonna die. <laughs> I don't do it as well. I did it right after Golden Globes on Jay Leno, and I had it. I had it really good. Well, it's on your page. Mm-hmm. There's no more citation needed. Thank you, anyway, Dana. Thank you, Pete. Fantastic. Uh, I think we got to have through you. it. My pleasure. We did. I it was, wasn't what I expected, but it was better than I expected. I'm happy because I that. enjoyed all that philosophical stuff. That's what it mostly is. It makes me less lonely knowing there's people like you who are thinking about things I'm thinking about. That's great, and you know, and that's funny. And it's uh, human. All we have is each other. I mean, if we acknowledge that it, there is folly and and sadness, yeah, in our lives. <laughs> What if I can't ever? Yeah. I don't know how to stop. <laughs> That's why we have. I'm just going to walk away. Oh yeah, we already have that. We, no, no, it's fine. That's good. The last guest we had was a philosopher. And what, so. did I say anything profound then? I mean, after <laughs> <laughs> That's what you I took from that. Boring. Thank you so much. Now leaving nerdist.com. Thank <laughs> you.